I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. G'day folks and welcome to the Encounters Down Under podcast. I'm your host Anthony Goodall and I invite guests to the show to share their amazing encounters with aliens and UFOs. If you or someone you know has had an Encounters Down Under or anywhere in the world for our new segment Encounters Unbound, please get in touch with me via the Encounters Down Under Facebook page or email at australianufosightings at outlook.com.au. Be sure to join the Encounters Down Under Facebook page and YouTube channel where you can also get involved during the live stream interviews, sharing your thoughts and opinions during the live show. Also, if you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to give us a rating or review on your favorite listening platform. But anyway, that's enough from me. Let's get into what you've been waiting for. Kick back and relax with your favorite beverage and enjoy the show. This episode is available to view on our YouTube channel, so be sure to like and subscribe to the channel and leave a comment with your thoughts on the episode. G'day folks and welcome to another episode of Encounters Down Under. Peter Khoury, who is the founder of Australia's first support group, the UFO Experience Support Association, joins me on the show to talk about his many experiences and encounters. Starting from his childhood in Lebanon and eventually to Australia, Peter had quite the intimate encounter which left hard physical evidence that was even put under the microscope. Over the years, he has been featured in many documentaries, and although his encounters have gained him a bit of popularity, he hopes he can help others who have had encounters that may be too traumatic to come to terms with. So please welcome to the show, Peter. Peter, how you going, mate? Welcome back. <laughs> we um, don't have any go there, and a bit of a hiccup, but just, mate, great to have you on. Yeah, it's, I'm happy to be here, and um, as I said before, I was looking forward to this, and um, we can do this without YouTube. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Look, mate, there's um, nothing holding us back here now. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, look, mate, you've had some what would you say bizarre encounters? Um, you know, very. Scary. I don't know. How would you? How would you feel? You describe it throughout your your whole encounters that you've had. Um, it's. I, I look. I I grew up in a Lebanese Maronite, um, you know, Roman Catholic type of upbringing, and not strict. Like we weren't strict, but because my dad was working overseas a lot, my mum, you know, was. The father figure and she ran the household and that and she'd take us to church you know she's orthodox greek orthodox and she's lebanese but follows the greek orthodox faith uh, my dad's maronite so for me it's um it's not like i can go to family members and talk to them about this and and try and get some understanding or and, and try and see if they've had experiences in the past and it's not a topic that you discuss at all so i didn't 
it's you know it, it, it was this is something i've never experienced before and um it obviously um, had a profound impact on my life not in the early stages because as a kid i did see the ufo my cousins and friends were all there that's an experience i had that i always remembered vividly remembered and uh consciously but i never pursued it um i didn't you know get into the ufo topic because of that or anything um that came much later um i'm talking about you know early 70s and then my interest kicked off in um about you know mid 80s uh to late 80s is when i really got interested in the ufo topic um and always remembering that i had these experiences that i couldn't explain but i just never pursued them i didn't you know i didn't try to find answers or you know go on a search for truth or whatever back then and um, yeah it wasn't until my 88 experience i had the sighting with my um fiance at the time um that was in february of 88 and then in july of 88 i had my full-blown abduction experience with the tall you know guys with the um big black eyes and the shorter guys that look like gorillas with wearing hoods and like a monk's robe for example that's when my interest really kicked in but you know until that stage i i didn't even look at the ufa topic i never was in the only the only thing i can say that i was exposed to was a show that was uh, from britain and it was called ufo and um it was all these people wearing blonde wigs and you know weirdest haircuts and um it was i think it was a mac claren or some sort of uh, pantera or something they used as the vehicle and that's what impressed me the most the ufos that they when they filmed the ufo it was a hubcap thrown in the air and you could tell you know it was just really terrible uh, special effects uh but that's that's the extreme thing that i you know the most extreme thing ufo related that i was exposed to other than that there was nothing um never read on the topic you know just wasn't interested yeah that's right like look, do you want to run us through like your first encounter there um like just basically run us through like in kansas like obviously people are, like uh might might have an idea of who you are and your experiences in the past there but just run us through like basically your history like just so where it got to this point in your life it's a long story um it's a story i've said shared many 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 times and um that's something we'll discuss later uh, we were talking about that earlier but we'll discuss that later and um regarding accuracy of my story and when people retell my story um how many things they get wrong and it it confuses a lot of issues and things like that and um that segment you played earlier i think was a good way to start this because they made some uh, comments there that weren't true or I'm, I'm not saying they falsified anything they just weren't being accurate or 100 percent fact checking things and you know commenting on them um and it was the that you know little comments like i'll just throw a couple in there the csiro conducted the test that's not true the uh biochemist dr horace drew worked for csiro at the time and so did his wife and for that purpose we kept their names well his name sorry his name completely out of the picture for 10 years we kept his name secret we wouldn't share it with anyone and people made derogatory comments saying to me oh bill chalker did the head the test um, in his backyard shed on the newspaper didn't he and i would never ever take the bait and reveal the scientist's name the biochemist because he asked me not to and you know 
that's why people trust me I, I keep my word and um that was a he, he's a he's written a few books on the topic of dna he's an expert he oversaw the test he he ran the testing but it wasn't done via csiro that was a big thing that i think you know people would have taken note of um a couple of other things um that there was no mention of the asian female and i know for editing purposes and time issues and that you got to you know you got to minimize certain things but they spent a lot of time on my experience in lebanon the younger experience of my cousins they went to you know i i, I thought they went over the top with the you know mountains and the kids on the mountain and all that imagery i just thought they could have cut that out you know told the story and then maybe concentrated a little bit more time on the dna case the 1992 case and i don't know if it was because of don't want to offend people or why they chose not to mention that there was an asian female involved but um there was definitely a blonde female and there was an asian female and i might have made the comment and said um i'm not sexually attracted like some people said oh it's a sexual fantasy or whatever and i said well first of all i'm not sexually attracted to asian fem females like i find them very attractive to look at that but sexually not so i can't see why a fantasy would play out that way if you're not interested in that type of person but um i i can understand them maybe cutting that out but they could have at least mentioned because when they cut to Bill Chalker and he talks about the blonde DNA and the Asian DNA in the shaft, I think people found that really confusing. I would have. I would have thought, what's the Asian connection? You know, there's this blonde female there. You got a hair sample of her. Um, so it disappointed me because when you look at the hair sample and you see the root gave blonde DNA and the shaft gave the Asian mitochondrial DNA, there's a linked there with cloning maybe and when i saw the blonde female she didn't have a belly button and i reported this in 1993 when i had a panel of people speak to me and question me and when i said to them she didn't have a belly button i said they were made for a reason they asked me what for what reason i said breeding you know straight out i said breeding but um yeah to leave things like that out you know telling my story annoys me because i want to keep it consistent i don't want people to hear different versions of my story and not know what to believe and that, that's the disappointing thing about all this. It's been 31 years since the 1992 case, and um, it, people still get it wrong. Yeah, and that's one of the biggest things when we talked about when we um we met in Carwell there. Like you knew you like well, you talked about your story there and your encounters and that, and you're very um very upset about the whole the way things have travelled along uh, with your story over the history there. And the, and one of the biggest things yeah, I wanted to make, like sort of make a big remark on is like trying to get the accuracy back to your story and hearing it directly from you so yeah. um obviously like um you know you've got a long story yeah like you said you know, it's a long story with what's happened in your life so far um but obviously with the the brief rundown that we couldn't do the brief rundown there with the um the, the old doco there so mate, look um if you wouldn't mind like tell us your story there from uh, starting from lebanon there and go from there if you don't mind okay um i'm gonna I usually do it in chronological order, you know, the years as they go, but I'm going to jump the gun here a little bit and I'm going to comment. I'm going to start it off with when they, when Bill Chalker was researching the book to write the book and he was doing some research and spoke to my family for the first time in my life, um, I heard what I heard and I was stunned. And um, 
w w he was talking to my brothers, uh, to my family, and my mum walked in the room and she said, what are you talking about? And he said, oh, Bill's asking questions about Peter's experience when he had that experience here. And my mum was like, oh, when I was a kid, we used to have see things all the time, but our parents would always tell us they're Israeli spy planes or, you know, it's Israelis spying around, that's what you see. And she said, but there was one incident I never forget to this day. Um, she said, Peter was 20, and she remembers this vividly. She said, Peter was 22 days old, and I was breastfeeding him at three o'clock in the morning. She said, I was sitting on my bed. This is in Lebanon, mind you. And um, she said, she was sitting on the bed at three o'clock in the morning, breastfeeding me. And she looked out the window and she saw an alien, a person that doesn't belong there. It wasn't Middle Eastern looking, you know, this person had milky white skin white hair parted way on the side um large blue eyes and really really like friendly looking features she wasn't scared or put off at all and she made the point the she commented and made a point of that she said he wasn't perving at me he was looking at my son she said he had eyes for my son and um she said what woman in lebanon in 1964 wouldn't freak out that some guy's looking at her through the window but I didn't, I didn't. She said, I just was completely calm and I fell asleep. And then in the morning, she went and spoke to my uncle about it. He was, he's a, one of the two security guards in the town. And he did some, you know, asking around to see. We live in a, on, a, on the coast and there's two cement ports there. Um, and a lot of foreign ships come in, load up and go. And a lot of their, you know, their staff come off um, onto land and go shopping. So you see some foreigners there. But this was at three o'clock in the morning and there was no ships docked. Um, on the port so no one there was no foreigners in town um yeah she threw that out of nowhere and it it sort of sh shocked me at the time and now i regret now i know bill has documented it in written form but we sh straight away i should have sat her down and recorded a video because now my mum has dementia and um i kick myself every day for not you know getting that documented um via video but but that's how that that's something that I re, uh, why I'm throwing this in is to let people know that I've had li lifetime experiences over my whole life. I've had experiences and it seemed to have started when I was really young, you know, 22 days old. My mum sees what she calls an alien looking through the window watching me. So it kicks off from that. And then I was about seven years old and um, it was summer in Lebanon. We were off school on holidays. And uh, we're playing around in the street as kids do. And uh, it's a quiet street. It's not like busy with many cars and that. You might get, you know, four or five cars a day going through there. And um, one of the kids called out, let's go play up on the roof. And it might sound strange to people living here. You know, you've got tiled roofs and that. You can't go and play on the roof. But in Lebanon, on the coast, they're all flat roofs. And um, they have cubby houses up, up there. They have grapevines and, you know, barbecue areas and, entertainer stuff like people sleep up there most of their summer so it was an everyday occurrence you go up on the roof and play um so yeah we ran as we ran across the road um we entered the the property went through the gate and i noticed as we entered through the gate that my little cousin was behind me um she was about a year and a half younger than me i think so i let her run through i, I actually put my hand behind over the back and pushed her in front of me and let her go in front of me and i didn't want it to be last so we've run up through the door, up the stairs, first flight, first flight of stairs, second flight of stairs, and then we're on the landing. And when you look onto the roof, there's a solid screen, uh, a solid security door. It's on a steel frame and it's about, I'd say, four inches off the ground. 
um, and it's a heavy, solid door. And any time we played up on that roof, when you ran, when you walked through or ran through whatever, whoever pushed the door open in front of you, that door, because of its weight, would just come straight back to close. It wouldn't stay, it never stayed open. So as we're running through, I'm at the back, I can see one, two, three. I'm seeing all these kids running through. And every time I looked at the door, I'm thinking it's going to come back and hit one of them and their arms aren't out. They're not going to stop it. That's how I was processing it. Anyway, they've run through and they're on the roof now. I've stepped through the um, the frame of the security door and I had my arms out in front of me because I knew eventually it's going to come back and bounce and hit me. And it didn't. It stayed open. And um, as I've run on, as I've stepped onto the roof between them, I was between my cousins now and my friends. I noticed that none of them were moving; they were just like like statues, like mannequins. And I thought, okay, it's a game we're playing, in, and they I'm in, and they're all pretending, you know, they can't, they can't, whatever. So I started to tickle them. I started, and this is something I never thought about till, till actually today. I was just having a rest, and it sort of ran it through my head. We, were, we ran across the road. We ran up two flights of stairs. We ran onto the roof and then they stopped and then there was nothing. It, it, just like a mannequin. There was no breathing, no – I mean, when you, your heart's racing and you're running, it's hard to just switch off. And I didn't see anything. I didn't see movement. I didn't see breathing. Even that glitter, that glow in your eye, you know, they, you look at someone, you can see life in their eye. I couldn't see that. And um, I started to tickle them, and I wasn't getting any reaction at all. I wanted to see them, you know, smile, move, do something, nothing. So there was another kid who was probably two and a half, three years older than us, and he was taller than me. So I went up and tickled him, nothing. And I went to tickle him under his throat, and I went to tickle under there. And as I looked up, I saw an object above us, which was X-shaped with the pointy end up in the, in the, uh, the rounded end on the lower part. And it had the whole front of it was a tinted, it's almost like a computer screen when switched off or a TV screen, dark tint, um, oval shaped tint. And um, it, um, it was tinted enough that I could see inside and I could see two figures, very thin, uh, very tall, very skinny, but no features. I couldn't see, you know, eyes, uh, size of the eyes or nose or mouth. I couldn't see anything like that. I just saw a silhouette and the way they were sitting, it wasn't like a pilot would sit in a helicopter. Um, they were leaning forward. They were in a leaning position and it, it seemed they would look at each other and then they would look towards us. And to me, it seemed like they were confused or not understanding what's going on. I think I was supposed to freeze like the rest of them and I didn't. Um, and that's why I was able to see it. And whether it was that everyone got abducted, taken or not, or just me or maybe them, I, I don't know. But all what I remember is as I'm looking at this thing, I I knew I wasn't looking at a helicopter, I can tell you that much, because we saw them every day almost. They'd fly over Israeli helicopters would and they'd drop propaganda material, even Lebanese army helicopters. And we'd see the guys sitting on the side of the helicopter, you know, with their legs hanging, hanging out the on the landing pads and they just wave at us or they'd throw some coloured material, paperwork and that, um, and we'd run around. We didn't care what was written on the for the propaganda. We just collected the colours, different coloured papers. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I, I knew exactly what a helicopter looked like. This was no helicopter. 
And um, as I'm looking at it, and I'm trying to see if any of my friends, so I can show them, I can point to it, but no one was paying any attention to me. And um, I noticed it dropped about five metres. Originally, it was about 20 metres. It dropped a couple of metres, and then it dropped few few seconds or a minute later, it dropped another few. So I'd say at this day it was about maybe 15, 10 to 15 metres above us. So it wasn't, I couldn't have reached out and touched it. Maybe it's a figure of speech, but I could have probably thrown a rock and hit it, no doubt. Um, but yeah, I, 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 honestly, I knew that I was looking at something that wasn't an everyday occurrence that you see um that's a technology that's made by man even though i was seven years old i still knew that this was something really really strange but growing up in lebanon in the in 64 in the 70s you didn't have anybody to talk to about this stuff um there was no internet to you know to do research and that so it was just a close day okay and an experience now while we were up on the roof um we didn't realize what was going on but some time had gone by and then I'm looking at this object and then when it dropped when it was about 15 meters above us say um i noticed it dropped a second time and then bang like a like just like a snap of the fingers we were downstairs on the bottom floor and this is eight eight children sit some of us were sitting some of us were standing and we're all looking at each other questioning how did we get here we were up on the roof like no one not, not one of us had a memory of how we got down to the bottom floor we're sitting on the bottom steps we couldn't figure out how that happened and as we're asking each other you know where someone would make a comment like we were just on the roof and then we'd go yeah how did we get here and then we'd hear our parents calling out to us outside on the road and that they're screaming out our names and then one of the kids sticks their head out the door and he goes we're here we're here so the parents come out three three parents and it was eight kids so there was a couple of brothers and sisters and um so you know most of the parents were there and um they said where have you been and they started to question where we'd been and we said we're up on the roof playing and they were like no you weren't and we're like yes we were and they're like no you weren't smack and you'd get a smack on the backside you know by one of the your, your parent would smack you and um we're like well why are you smacking us like and they're like we've been looking for you for over two hours nearly three hours calling out your names if you were on the roof you should have heard us you should have replied why didn't you reply and i i think they assumed that we might have been up to no good maybe playing you know children's naughty games or something i don't know but they were really upset with us that we didn't reply and that and then they questioned whether we had been to some guy's house who they thought you know did inappropriate things with kids um they questioned that and we said no no we have we've been on the roof the whole time but they couldn't understand it so we all got grounded for it we couldn't you know for the rest of the week we couldn't go out and play um that was the first experience that I can say I remember consciously and I don't need hypnotherapy to remember, you know, it look for me, uh, what I don't remember, I'm, I'm, you know, I've been, I've had Frank Wilkes try to delve into it a little bit. Um, I'm not too big on hypnotherapy. I like to go with my conscious recall and that's why I've only been through three different hypnotherapy sessions with three different people, only because I wanted to basically be the guinea pig and see how these guys operated because we were going to refer people to them. And one of the people who put me under was um, actually Professor John Mack from Harvard. And um, 
John was um, such a professional and he was really impressed with my case and we ended up being really good friends and he became like a father figure to me and um, it was a very, very sad day when we lost him and, you know, um, he was making some inroads in the field and a lot of people were starting to pay attention and um, he was taken too soon, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, like with me, I try and stick with my conscious recall and I don't try and embellish it by adding what I remember through hypnotherapy and so on. And um, so, yeah, anyway, um, that was the only thing I can remember in Lebanon. And then in uh, um, 73, we migrated out to Australia and my first experience in, in, in Sydney, Australia was in 1988. Um, my fiance at the time and I were sitting in the car. It was actually Valentine's Day and she was going to, to Queensland a week earlier than me. I was going to meet her there a week later. And we were discussing that and I, had, I was sitting in the driver's seat with my back to the door and she was sitting in the driver's seat in the passenger with her back to the door. So we're just looking at each other and we're talking and something just said to me, look outside. I don't know what it was. It was like a urging. And I put my head, bent my head back and stuck it out the window. And I saw what I would say grapefruit size, um, pure white, pure white in color, a ball, an orb. And it was traveling uh, from north to um, uh, south. And as it hit, as it got near the uh, Southern Cross, it got to the top star and just stopped. It, it, it was moving at incredible speed and then it just stopped on like full stop in one spot. Um, we watched it hover there for a few seconds, probably I'd say 20 seconds. It just hovered there really bright. And then all of a sudden it started shooting a beam of light. It, I wouldn't say it was a rounded beam of light. I would say it looked like it had edges. So it looked like it was a flat beam of light. And then it would appear in two places at once. And then it would disappear from point A. And then point B would shoot a beam of light. And then it would appear in two places at once. And then it would disappear from point B. And then, But what it was doing, it was always in a triangular formation. And, but it was zigzagging all over. It was like it would go back and forth, backwards, but always in a triangular formation. It was really dazzling to look at. And we sat there stunned. I even got a cardboard out of my car and sort of rolled it up just to tunnel my vision so I can cut out some, just to get a bit of look, better look. And um, we were saying to each other, thousands of people have to, everybody in Sydney, would, well, most people in Sydney who were outside at the time and maybe looked up or, or something caught their attention like a court mine. Other people had to have seen this. And um, she made a comment actually and she said, it looks like a wall with the stars, like Star Wars. And I said to her, no, it looks like it's searching for something. Now that was, you got to remember, I hadn't done any research. I hadn't looked into anything like this. Um, I didn't. Now I think that it was traveling so fast that it appeared at two places at once and it was going faster than the speed of light so there you go that you know but i didn't know that at the time i just thought it looks like it's searching for something i looked at it as a search beam but this thing would always jump on that beam and be at two places at once and yeah it was just really interesting to look at and we thought we'd see it in the newspapers the next day we thought it'd be you know all over the media and there was nothing just nothing at all about it 
Um, I'm sure someone would have had to have seen it, but maybe they didn't report it. Um, yeah, it's always the way, isn't it? Like, like, yeah, know, well, I didn't No one ever sees it. Yeah, I didn't report it to anyone. I didn't know who to report it to if I wanted to, you know. Um, I didn't know there were UFO groups out there or anything like that. Um, I just looked in the papers and, you know, checked the radio, stuff like that, to see if anyone commented or reported, but there was nothing. Um, and then that was my exposure to it in Australia, and I found it really interesting. I thought, it doesn't look man-made. What The way it was moving, I've never seen anything move like that. So, yeah, it caught my attention. And then um, in March, uh, I got attacked at a job site by three guys. Um, they had used, we weren't there for three days. We were off the job. And when we went back, they had actually destroyed most of a lot of tradesmen's tools and uh, equipment. Um, they used them and abused them and just never cleaned any. Like they really trashed a lot of, a lot of um, expensive um, um, things that, you know, you use equipment and so on. And I'm talking, you know, machines that cost like $3,000 were damaged and they didn't give a damn. And um, I didn't fuss up about it. All I said was, you know, who used them? I just want to speak to the person who used them. And I, without even seeing anything coming, mate, all I know is this guy throws a knife and it hits me straight in my chest. And I look down and I see this knife sticking out of my chest and your first instinct is to pull it out and throw it, you know, and well, some people might use it against him, but my instinct was just throw it and I can handle them with my hands if they want to fight. And um, one guy grabbed a shovel and ran at me. I blocked the shovel when he swung at me. He dropped the shovel and ran, and then a guy from behind me hit me on the head twice. And the third time I turned and saw it come in and I blocked it and fractured my thumb and I had my arm cut up open with glass and so on. So I got pretty badly injured. Um, and this leads to my experience and why I was home at the time. So, yeah, I, I had head injuries. I had a pretty bad, two bad cuts on my head. Um, you know, I had the chest injury. So I was recovering. I was at home recovering. And I was off work for a couple of years because of that. Um, I um, So, yeah, I spent a bit of time at home. Sorry. And... Um, one day in July, 20, 23rd of July, 1988, um, I'm lying in bed uh, in the morning. And that's the thing people get wrong too. I don't understand. Um, a lot of people comment on my case, oh, it's sleep paralysis. Oh, you know, he was dreaming, um, all, all kind of things. And I've got to remind, remind people, it happened at 7, between 7 and 7.15 in the morning because I got up in the morning uh, drove my wife, my wife at the time. We had just got married. We got married in 1990 and uh, moved into the house. We had been here for two years. Now, prior to that, we had some activity, which you might say ghost, poltergeist, whatever, and that was a lot of heavy footsteps, a lot of knocking, and she saw a full-figured apparition in the house that looked like Abraham. She described it like Abraham Lincoln with, a, you know, the top hat, a beard, um, wearing a tailcoat, all in black, like an undertaker. And it walked, oh, well, I just left to go and pick up some stuff, ingredients that she needed for cooking. And she thought that I forgot something in my wallet or something, came back to grab it. And she looked back and she saw this man walk across. Um, it was an arch and she, in one room and he walked across the lounge room and headed towards this mirrored wall that led to another bedroom where later on I used to always get scratches on my legs when I slept there. Um, 
So anyway, there was some activity prior to that. We knew from day one when we were here, the first night we were here, we heard footsteps walk straight up to us and then st stop about two metres from us, right? We are sitting down and we had pizza on the floor. We didn't have any furniture. We were just painting the place. And we had a pizza box on the ground and we were sitting down and the footsteps came all the way. You should see the look on her face. I wish I took a photograph. It would have, it would have told you the whole story. Um, she's looked at me with fear because she thought someone's in the house. She thought it might have been squatters or something. And then these footsteps just came right in front of us, but there was no one there. Um, so, yeah, there had been a bit of activity. So, anyway, um, July 23rd, she asked me to drive her to the train station just up the road, which is like a three-minute drive. And um, I got out of bed. And I was feeling fine. There was nothing wrong with me. I wasn't ill. I wasn't feeling sick or anything, although, you know, I had head injury. I was suffering from it, but I was recovering. I was getting there. Um, as I'm driving, the further I got from home, the more sick I would get. And I would just open the car door and just stick my head out and there was just this green uh, fluorescent blue or green stuff would come out of me. I don't know what it was. I didn't eat anything that would cause that. So I couldn't explain it, but I was getting the more further I got from home, the sicker I got. Dropped her off. She was like, go to bed, go home, go to bed, just relax. On the way home, obviously I pulled up again. I'm vomiting on the way. and But the closer I got to home, the less sick I felt. And then I opened my front door, I walked in and uh, walked straight into, I didn't go anywhere in the house, I walked straight back into my bedroom. Now, this would have been about five past seven in the morning at this stage. And I got into bed and I'm thinking, you know, oh, I've been vomiting, maybe I'm, my stomach's upset or something, I'll just lie down. I lie in bed and it was July, so I was wearing tracksuit pants and a sloppy joe. I lay in bed, I put the quilt on top of me and I'm laying and I just, rest my head on the pillow and as my head's rested on the pillow i feel something jump on the bed like a heavy set dog or a big dog say but we didn't have any pets at the time not even a cat and um it quickly caught my attention and straight away i sat bolt upright but i was expect i thought when i opened the door maybe a cat snuck in and it's got to be a bloody big cat but that's how i was thinking i thought maybe something snuck in so i sat bolt upright and as I sat up, there's this one female sitting straddling me on top of me. I was no longer under the quilt. I was on top of the, the bed and there was this female completely naked and straddling me. And um, I I mean, I knew it wasn't a dream. I was awake. And as I sat up, I went when I went to sit up, my astral body, um, I've, I've got to throw in a couple here because religious people might take my soul, whatever you want to call it, whatever you want to call it. I saw an image of me, a transparent image of me come out of my body and sit up before me. And then as I'm looking at this sit up and it's sat straight up, I can see through that, I can see the blonde female, full, full figured blonde female, not, you know, a, a shimmering ghostly image. This is, a real figure person right there and as i sat up as my body sat up and i became one i joined back with my soul um, or my astral body um instantly she cut the back of my head with both her hands she put her hands like that like behind the back of my head and pulled me to her left breast i resisted i put my hands against her i felt her body i pushed against her 
and I moved away and she did it again, pulled me to next to her again. And that's when I noticed there's, there's also an Asian female on the bed next to us. She's kneeling down and she's like watching. She's just looked like she was just in it, like learning or just monitoring or something, but she was full gaze, you know, fixed on me on what's going on between me and the female. And, um, She's pushed me a second time towards her and I resisted again, pushed back against her. And then the third time she pushed me into her breast, used, I'd say, super strength because no matter how hard I tried to push away from her, I couldn't push her away. I couldn't push my body away from her even. And um, that irked me a little bit, actually. She was stronger than me. But um, I... Um, she buried my face in her breast. Now, some people say I bit. Oh, what type of person bites someone, you know? I've had a lot of partners in my life. Ask them, have I ever bitten them, you know? <laughs> but what happened was she buried my face in her breast. I couldn't breathe. And I'm claustrophobic at the best of time. I hate lifts. I hate being confined in a, in a room where I can't open a door. It doesn't matter how big the room is. If I can't get out, it annoys me. So I couldn't breathe. And... I wasn't thinking sexual at the time. I wasn't thinking, oh, this is a sexual experience that, you know, I oh, enjoy it, Peter, go for it, you know, wow, every guy's dream. I wasn't thinking like that. I was just like, what the hell is happening here? What are you, how did you get in here? What? And then anyway, as I'm, um, my face is buried in her breast, I can't breathe. So I just took the little, like, a, I'd say a pinch. You can pinch someone. I pinched with my teeth. and. I push. I was able. I think it shocked her a little bit. I was able to push away from her, but when I looked, I didn't see a mark. I didn't see blood. I didn't see anything, but I swallowed something, and now I believe it was some sort of tablet, maybe, and I'll get to that later. But I did swallow something, and at first I thought it was a bit of the flesh. Maybe I did bite some skin or something, <clears throat> but as soon as it hit the back of my throat, it was like I drank a bottle of acid and it was just burning uh, like it was the most excruciating annoying feeling and um i start coughing and it's and then straight away i look at her i look up at her and i see her with a shocked look on her face her eyes were wide open and she was looks over at the asian female next to her uh the asian female would have been to her left she's looked over at her and she was like i picked this up telepathically it wasn't voices in my head it was more a feeling. It was more a knowing. And I could hear he's done, something's gone wrong. He's he's done this wrong. This Something's gone wrong. It's not like the last time. Something's gone wrong. So I, I know now that I think they lost control. And I honestly believe that that's why a lot of people don't remember their experiences. I think they interact with us on an astral level. And when we get physical, when when we're involved in that experience and our physical body gets involved, I think that's when people remember it. That's when they have that memory. And that's why people have snippets of memories, you know, or flashbacks of memories. Um, but anyway, I, um, I could hear them t communicating telepathically and I could tell that the Asian female was like instructing or like agreeing with a yes, yes, something's gone wrong sort of thing. So I picked up on their communication but also she was communicating stuff to me, but it was it was as if you recorded someone and played it 10 times speed. And 
I, I kept saying, I knew it was for me, like I could tell, but I kept saying in my mind, I kept saying, I'll never remember this. Never will I in my life remember this. This is just too much. And I was getting the thing in my head like, you'll remember, you know, you'll remember. And I'm thinking, no way. But anyway, I start coughing. I'm having coughing fits and I start coughing. I cough. I'm looking down, coughing. I look up and they're vanished. They're gone. Just as quick as they arrived, I never saw them again. They, I don't know how they left. I didn't see them go through walls or ceilings or just evaporate. I don't know how they left. But um, one second they were there and the next they won't. And then um, I'm coughing. I'm having these terrible coughing fits. So I decide to go into the kitchen, grab some Lebanese bread, I thought, and just eat some bread, you know, have a drink of water. It might help wash this thing down. And it's scratching my throat. is so scratched and so sore. So I go in the kitchen, I eat a bit of bread and I drink water and it was the worst thing I could have done. It was like I poured fire on top of the acid and it just inflamed it, the whole thing. And I had a coughing fit for about 20 minutes and every time I coughed that after that, it would be between 10, 20-minute coughing fits. And if you cough for 10, 15, 20 minutes, your organs, your body, your insides will ache like you've never ached before. It's, it, I reckon they could use that as torture. Um, I couldn't believe the pain I was going through with, with these coughing fits. But anyway, I couldn't get rid of it. So anyway, I had the urge to go use the bathroom. So I went into the bathroom. Um, I just wanted to, to pee. And as I stood there, and as every man knows, you get a build-up and you get release. And when I got that build-up, it, like, it felt like my penis had been slashed a um, hundred times with a razor. It just... It just was so excruciating, painful. And um, when I looked, I, I, I thought it was actually, I thought I was going to see cuts on there, you know. And when I had a look, I noticed that there were two hairs. One was like in as it, it was S-shaped and the other one was like a C-shape, but half wrapped around. I'm sorry, I've been a bit, maybe too much details. But um, no, yeah, fine, one was like. Fine. One was embedded in in an S shape, and the other one was sort of half around. Um, but they were really embedded in into my penis. And when I tried to remove them, I was crying. I had tears running down my. It was painful. I mean, I'm trying to pull these things off. I thought they're going to come off easy, but they were embedded in. And as I pulled them off, they were cutting me. And I think that's why it felt like I was cut with razors. As I pulled them out, oh my god, the pain was so bad. But I just, as I did it, I could see that they were leaving a mark. They were, they were leaving an exact mark shape of the way they were. And um, it's like you put your fingernail in your skin and pull it out. You'll see that indentation. That's what it was like. And people have said to me, oh, well, you should have taken a photo. Why don't you take a photo? I mean, come on, guys, really? <laughs> um, and you know what? Mobile phones weren't, weren't, cameras weren't all over the place at the time. And, um, maybe if I had a mobile phone with a camera, I might have for my own purposes, not to show to anyone, but just as a record for me to have as a, more evidence. But, um, yeah, so anyway, I went, I walked out. I, I knew exactly where they came from. I had no doubt in my mind. I went and got a plastic bag. I put them in it. I sealed it. I wrote a note on it and I put it away and it was just, you know, filed away and that's it. I sat down in the about... 15, 20 minutes, maybe maybe up to half an hour, I'd say, after this happened. I sat down in the lounge room and I rang my wife at work 
And uh, she answered the phone and I'm talking to her. And she said, who's this? I said, it's your husband, Peter. She goes, oh my God, Peach, because I can't even, it doesn't sound like you. And I understand that my voice would have, my throat uh, would have been so scratched that it affected my voice a bit. But um, she said, it doesn't even sound like you. I wouldn't have even picked it. And I started coughing. I had another coughing fit as I was talking to her. And I said, look, I'm not ready to talk to you about this. But when I do, just relate this coughing that you're hearing me cough, just relate it to my story and you'll understand what I mean. And it took me three weeks. It took me exactly three weeks. Um, I think it was around the, around the 21st of August or something. Yeah, almost, um, almost a month, just over three weeks before I built up the courage to talk to her about it. And she's always been supportive, you know, like she's, she's, she wasn't going to, you know, tell me that I'm delusional or something like that. She's, she knows me and she knew I don't make up stories like that. So anyway, um, I said to her, look, when I'm ready to tell you, I'll tell you. And it took me almost up to a month, over three weeks to tell her. And when we sat down, I spoke to her about it. I said, do you remember those coughing fits? I was, And it lasted three days, the coughing fits. And for three days, I'd cough for 20 minutes every time and it'd be a gap a couple of hours in. I'd cough. It was it was really bad, painful. But anyway, um, we sat down, we're talking about it. And I said, look, there were two females. This, you know, I ran the story that I just told you. And she was like, okay, what are we going to do about it? And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, I said, aren't you upset? Like, I felt guilty, to be honest. That's why it took me three weeks. I felt like, not that I called girls or hookers to my house when my wife left at seven o'clock in the morning and had someone here to do something, you know, but I felt guilty. I thought, you know, there was two females in my bed. Any woman uh, is going to take it a bit, you know, but she was like, no, what are we going to do about it? She said, it's not like you rang someone and brought them to your house. This thing happened to you. Obviously, there's a reason, you know, let's look into it. And um, that's when I decided to call some psychologists and psychiatrists and some counsellors and everybody I spoke to for about, I reckon, a period of about 18 months. Everybody I spoke to, as soon as I'd say, like um, they're talking to me normal, they're about to make an appointment with me, and then I'd say, look, I don't want to waste your time and mine, but I want to talk to you about something that there was a presence in my room. There were, you know, there was a two two beings in my room. Oh, no, no, we don't deal with that. Sorry, I hang up on you. They wouldn't even refer you anywhere. they just hang up on you. I thought, okay. Anyway, I'm talking to one psychologist in Queensland, and he said to me, look, I've heard a few stories lately like this the last couple of years, similar. He said, I think it's UFO-related. You need to speak. There's a group in Sydney forming. Um, they're, they're forming. You're having a meeting next week, and they're going to name their group or whatever. It's a new group. Why don't you attend and speak to them? And I did just that. And um, I went there with two female friends of mine, um, and we sat down, listened to, you know, the introduction. They're going to start this group, and they wanted to name the group. And uh, they ran a competition, and whoever won the name the group um, got a gift of three books, I think it was. And myself and the two ladies with me, we we won the naming and they gave me three books and then I handed one each to them, you know. Um, that was my introduction to UFO groups. And then I attended another meeting, the second meeting I attended, and there was this real energy, bad vibe, bad vibe. 
about this person, this man called Bill Chalker. They didn't want him at the meeting. They didn't want him attending. It was a public meeting, mind you, in a in a hall, in a public um, hall where people pay the ticket and come in. It wasn't invite only, and they were just, you know, and they were telling me that this guy is uh, a debunker. He's a skeptic. He works for the government. He's against UFOs, and you know, and to be honest with you, they were more against abductions than other people were because. They wanted to concentrate on lights in the sky and, you know, in 1961 someone saw a dot in the sky and they saw it for two seconds and reported it. That's it. They didn't want to go towards the alien abduction stuff because they thought it was a can of worms and, they, and it was incredible. They didn't want to go near it. So out of this first main big meeting, I get called up and I'm – appointed the um, abduction, um, alien abduction um, uh, coordinator. And I was like, I don't even know what's happened to me. How am I going to talk to other people and, and help them? But, you know, over a few couple of years, I've got a bit of experience. Then I, ran, I, I did an interview, met Bud Hopkins personally, did an interview with him, and I remember asking him, would a person in my position who's had the experience be any health, be helpful in a support group environment? And he said, you'd probably be more helpful than anyone because you can relate to these people. And that rang a bell with me. And, you know, I'm a pretty strong, confident person that I can handle my own issues and I can offer help to others, and I have. And um, so, yeah, it gave me, it sort of gave me a reason, a cause. You know, I wanted to find the truth, of course, but at the same time, I wanted to give the alien abduction um, uh, phenomena or subject a bit more credibility than what these UF ufologists were giving it. They weren't even giving it, you know, 2% of it being real. And, um, and you know, there's a saying, they say, if a UFO reports, out of all the report, reports in the world, if there's 1% that's um, real, then we have a, you know, subject to look into. And I say the same about abductions. All the claims in the world, if there's 1% of these abductions that are real, then we have a really interesting phenomenon to look into. But um, it was a real battle for me to to run that that side of the group, that little group, and um, they didn't want to have a bar of it. And then as soon as Bud Hopkins came out, everybody was interested, became interested in the UFO and the abduction phenomena, and uh, they tried to hijack the group and so on. So we just left and we started our own group, a separate group. And I was fortunate enough to do that because with that, came a lot of uh, professionals on board, psychologists, psychiatrists, uh, a couple of hypnotherapists, some counsellors. We were blessed. We were honestly blessed. We had a couple of doctors and one of the doctors, he, his daughter and he have had their own experiences. Um, it was a really good mix of people. And um, for about 15 years, we did, I mean, we did remarkable. We did remarkable work, um, educating the public, sending information to schools. I'd have university students calling and asking for paperwork and info. We did all that, you know, uh, newsletters going out, um, just to try and get the message out there that these things are happening. And um, over the years, Bill Chalker and I, um, I, I used to avoid him at the meetings, to be honest with you. I'd walk past Bill. I wouldn't even want to sell him a raffle ticket. Um, because I, he, everyone told me he's, you know, he's against everything I was going through, and so one day I just thought, you know what, I'm going to give this guy a chance. So we spoke, and we hit it off ever since, and we become best mates. Um, Bill ended up writing the book Hair of the Alien, 
And, you know, I tell people, if Bill is a debunker, why would he write the Ausfiles um, and present some of Australia's best cases on there that he's researched? Why would he write Hair of the Alien and put the case out there with evidence? You'd, you'd, you'd try and hide all that. You wouldn't put it out there if you want to debunk something. But um, anyway, one day Bill and I were doing a document, uh, we're doing an interview for a documentary. Um, two female producers were at my house and they were talking about this documentary. And one of them said, and I think it was going to air on Channel 7, and one of them said, you know what, Peter, if this really is happening to people, then there must be some evidence. Look at sexual assault case. There's always evidence. There's, you know, pubic hair or there's sperm or there's blood. There's something. There's always something left behind. And I just jumped to my feet and I said, you want to see evidence? I'll show you evidence. I went, grabbed the sample, walked out. It was still in that bag. and. Um, I showed it to them and they looked at it and they read my little notes on me, you know, blonde female, Asian female, all this stuff. And then Bill looks at it and Bill said to me, why haven't you talked to me about this? I said, Bill, my 1988 experience is hard enough. This is a whole can of worms on its own. This is just way, way, way too much. And because of the sexual aspect, I was just starting to get credibility in the field. <clears throat> and that was based on my 1988 experience. Um, I had an experience in 1996. I'll come back to that in a minute. Um, actually, I'll talk about this and now I'll come back to this point. Um, 1996, Professor, two weeks before Professor John Mack came out, um, I didn't know John was coming out. I got called from a, uh, Dr. Patty Barton from the Transpersonal Association called me, they were holding a conference and John Mack was coming out and they wanted him to work with some abductees, alien abductees. And uh, they asked if I knew anyone or would I be happy to talk to him? And I said, yeah, of course I would, you know. And um, anyway, um, not two weeks before John, before two weeks before I got the phone call about it, um, I had an experience where I'm lying in my bed, I get, I see a group of aliens coming through. That's the short hooded ones that look like, you know, the Whitley Strieber guys the gorilla-looking ones and robust, you know, demonic-looking, you could say, um, coming through the mirror and they're coming straight at me and I thought it was a whole bunch of them. But their reflection, obviously, was, you know, also I, I was counting their reflections. So it was only three of them and they've come to my bed and levitated me and took me straight out into the hallway. My brother um, – sorry, sorry, I'm jumping – Sorry, they've taken me through the mirror in my wardrobe. And I, I was thinking, this is the funniest dream I've ever had. I'm like, oh, my God, when I wake up from this dream and remember, I'm going to laugh so hard. But as I'm going through the, the mirror, I could see the first being go through and like a little shimmer, nothing much. And then my feet went through and straight away I felt like it was I was going through jelly, like basically warm, warm type of thick substance. And it reminded me of jelly, but not as, as thick, like I could just float through it. And as my body was going through it, I was looking at my reflection in the mirror. I was looking at my face and the shock that I had on my face. I was in total shock at what was going on. And as I went through in my head, my face came right up to the mirror. I could see the shocked look on my face. And I went through and I remember this like, you know, warm, fuzzy feeling. That's it. Nothing more. And then I wake up in my bed. Um, I 
all I can say is I know it happened, but I don't know where I was taken. I don't know what happened when I was taken. I don't know how long I was taken for. Um, similar to my 88 experience that happened at my parents, I don't remember where I was taken. I don't remember how long. Um, my brother and I worked it out because we were watching a TV show. So that was in, in 1988 um, when I had that experience at my parents with the tall goldish colored guys with the black eyes and the little hooded guys. Um, it actually petrified me because I thought the hooded guys were demonic, they were evil. And I thought, oh my God, I'm 23 years old, I'm going to die, and these beings are going to take me like I'm taking my soul. My parents will come in, they'll either find me paralyzed because I couldn't move, or you know, I'll be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. Um, and I had the guys at the foot of the bed, one guy at the foot of the bed and two to the right side of my bed. And um, they terrified me. They absolutely terrified me. And I was trying to get up and want to fight. And, and you know, I, I, I've, I've done martial arts. I've played footy. I've done kickboxing. And all I wanted to do was get up and throw punches and kicks at these whatever was in my room. And I couldn't move. And um, then I noticed on the right, left side of the bed, there were two taller, uh, much more peaceful looking, I'd say, angelic looking maybe, um, tall with the big black eyes. And um, one of them is telling me to relax because I was freaking out at one point. And then I look into this being's eyes and it was like he hypnotized me instantly and I felt totally calm. And uh, it took like a second or two, I was totally calm. And then I hear him say telepathically, calm down, relax. We're not going to harm you. It'll be like the last time, calm down, relax. And he puts this needle, it was like an optic fibre with a light on the tip, flexible, and he put it to this part of my head right there, and I blacked out. Um, I don't remember being taken or whatever, but my brother remembers, this is why I'm mentioning it, just briefly going back to this. My brother remembers me being taken through the hallway, and he's sitting in a chair and he can't move, he's paralysed. He put it down as to he felt like he'd been switched off, and he saw me being levitated, like floating on my back, floating through the hallway with three beings around me. And that's exactly what happened to me in 1996. I had three and they levitated me out. I don't know if it takes three to do that or how they do it, but twice I've been levitated and I'm not even aware of it. Um, but definitely my brother witnessed that and spoke to Bill Chalker about it. Um, other experiences I've had in 2008, I had an experience where I'm jumping from one to the other, I know, but I'm just trying to cover so many different things. Um, 2008, I had an experience and that's probably had, this whole experience has had a profound, you know, it's changed my whole life, basically. It's had a big impact on me. And this particular one in 2008 affected me the most. And... The reason it affected me because I felt someone else's helplessness. I felt someone else going through what I'm going through or what I had been going through and looking at it from that way, it really upset and hurt me. Um, okay. I remember being taken on a craft and then we get to, we're, we're up high where I can see the stars and that. And then we pull up to what I looked to me looked like a building, a white building. And this building was pure white again, bright white, and it had black windows. And the windows were, um, um, 
they were narrow long windows but there was a lot of them and we got to almost the top floor level with the top floor and we came i could see both the the where i was whatever i was in was moving closer and closer and closer to that building it all now that i look think of it it's like it was almost like it was docking you know like a, the space station with you know things would dock there it's similar to that but my next memory is i'm coming down through i'm levitating face down and i'm coming down through the ceiling i've gone through the ceiling and as i'm looking as my face punches through that ceiling and i'm going through it i'm over some i'm in someone's bedroom or in, i see a bed and i see a female lying in that bed and i'm dropping gradually dropping down slowly but you know gradually and i'm inches away from her face i'm right on top of her and i could see the look in her face of confusion and you know she was scared like i could i could feel that and um i remember being probably six inches away from her face and i looked at her and i saw her tears run down her face and i remember we just mouthing off to her and i don't know how i did this because i don't think I had control, but I actually thought it and said it. And I said to her, I looked her right in the eyes and I said to her, I'm so, so, so sorry. And I said it like I meant, I said, I am so, so, so sorry. And um, I felt every bit of her pain. And that has really annoyed the hell out of me ever since. And people have said to me, oh, you should try and find her. And um, why, well, for my, for my curiosity, and you know to fill in some gaps with me i'm going to go and open a can of worms again for someone who may not be able to deal with it or doesn't want to why would i go and pursue that unless they contacted me but funny thing i was reading a book uh, by richard boylan i believe it was and um i'm reading a story and he mentions this woman that was lying in her bed and she saw a guy come down through the ceiling and levitate above her and she said that she cried and, and she's when I read that, it gave me, I, I freaked out and I thought, whoa, she actually said, the guy said, I am so, so, so sorry. And she said it so three times, which is how I said it three times. And um, I was, when I looked, I was like, whoa, this is too, just too close to home. I mean, I, maybe it's happened to other people as well, but that hit home with me. And that affected me more than any experience I've had. Um, and look, to be honest with you, I think if I didn't have the DNA evidence, the hair sample in itself and the DNA evidence, I wouldn't have gone public with my 1992 experience. I would have discussed it with certain people. I did with Professor Mack. Um, Professor Mack was one of the few people that has actually held the bag, not touched the sample, but has looked at the bag that it was in and you know read the information that was on there. Uh, Bill Chalker was one. The two female producers saw it as well. My, my wife at the time obviously saw it. My kids had seen it. Not too many people have. And um, once it got tested, obviously the root of the hair was destroyed and then the shaft uh, was a little bit left of the shaft, which I still have. Um, but yeah, now, now we come back to 92, we come to the hair sample. Um, it took, after Bill found out about it that day when the uh, TV producers or film producers were here, um six years later he uh, he contacted me and he asked me have you still got that hair sample i said yeah i do and he said mate i've got some people in from you know csiro they work for them uh it won't be done through them but they work for them and one of them's 
leading scientist and he's a bio, um, a DNA biochemist. He's written a number of books, very well qualified. And um, I just felt comfortable doing it. I, um, I mean, a lot of people said, oh, you're crazy. You know, I just felt comfortable. And I just said, here, mate, here's the sample. And I gave him both the pieces of hair. Um, you know, I thought if I hang on to one and it doesn't get tested, big deal, it's a hair. But if it gets tested, I knew, I knew that the results are going to be Okay, maybe I didn't think as strange as they were, but I, I knew they're going to find something different because what I was looking at, they were human. They were humanoid. Um, she was perfect. Like the blonde. Look, I'm jumping and, and going to different things and that, just trying to cover a lot of things. Um, but, yeah, she, the, the, the blonde female was very well portioned. Uh, where she lives, I don't think there's gravity because there was no nothing sagging there, put it that way. Uh, very attractive um very fit looking you know um so yeah i knew that dna was going to be different if they did test it there was they were going to get something interesting but not that interesting and um so yeah they took the sample tested it and um uh, then um they took a sample from my wife hair sample and tested it as well um i think for me the strength that they what they were really confident in is that I took the hairs off my private part and I put them straight into the bag. There's no doubting that that was the hair that was on, on my penis, both hairs. Um, where since my case, we've had a number of people come forward and claim that two weeks after reading about my story, they had exactly the same experience with a blonde female and an Asian and there was a hair sample, but they dropped the hair couple of them have sent samples they've been tested and they've come back to be their partners or their daughters i'm not saying that they didn't have a sample i'm just saying that the the chain of evidence was broken so if it was dropped on the floor and you went back an hour later and picked it up we're not sure you picked up the right hair or maybe you're not even sure you picked up the right hair but that's a strength of mine where it was collected it was put in a bag and it was kept there secured and it was never touched by anyone else so the only DNA that should be on there is mine and whoever the hair belonged to. And um, when they when they did the first uh, phase of the testing, um, they found that first they found in the root of the hair, they found rare Chinese Basque Gaelic DNA, like tall Scandinavian looking, blonde hair, blue eyes um, DNA. And in the shaft of the hair, when they tested the shaft, they found a CC, sorry, they found a, um, the rarest Chinese mitochondrial DNA um, with very, very few, maybe I think they were saying like 3% um, of uh, Asian mongoloid people have that trait. And um, so there were two different DNAs in the one hair sample and that caught their attention. So they went a bit further and then they found a CC gene, um, CCR5 gene dilution. And um, that indicated that whoever is, doesn't have that gene, um, you're more resistant to, or you basically can't catch sexually transmitted diseases. And um, I'd say if you're gonna send beings from wherever, you know, whether they're from out there or inside our Earth or wherever they come from, a, a spaceship hovering in ours, I don't know, wherever they come from, you know, if you're going to send them down to interact sexually with people on Earth, you're going to make sure that they can't catch any diseases, I suppose. Um, 
I if I, I still say it again, if I didn't have the DNA, the hair sample and the DNA to back it, there is no way I would talk publicly about that case. Um, but when when people have these experiences, everybody thinks sometimes they say, oh, I wish I had this experience now. And I tell them, don't, you know, be careful what you wish for because sometimes not everybody can handle this stuff. And um, unfortunately, what I've learned and I've learned the hard way, you can have all these really good, well, I don't know if they're good or bad experiences, but to me, they're enlightening. And I think Einstein once said, the most profound thing we can experience is the mysterious. And I really believe that. I think, yeah, that's just, a, it can be very, very profound. But I, um, I, uh, I, I struggle with people who think it's all lovey-dovey and it's all, you know, daisies and roses and, you know, they're going to come in and save our planet and save us and no more. Um, I get a bit annoyed because there is that, there is that, you know, where, yeah, maybe they will give us technology, maybe they will help us medically, all that stuff. But unfortunately, when you have this experience, you're in touch with something, it might be positive, but then there's that other aspect that comes along with it. And it's called, people up now, everyone's calling it high strangers. I was calling it that, Bill and I have talked about this years ago, maybe 15 years ago. And I used to say to him, it's all that other strange stuff that worries me. You know, the aliens, all this, I don't, I'm not scared of that. People say, aren't you scared? No, if it happened tonight, it'll happen tonight. I'll just live with it. But these, other things, these um, strange, strange things that happen that aren't necessarily um, benevolent, they're not friendly, they're not good for you, they're not good for your soul. And these things start happening and it scares you. Like I, I've had aliens interacting with me and it hasn't scared me. But then I had something, I'm sitting down on uh, 2020, I did a job, uh, I work in security, and I did a job uh, New Year's Eve, and I come home and I sat down, I'm watching a bit of TV just to unwind, and as, I, as I'm sitting there, this is at 4.55 in the morning, as I'm sitting there, I felt something burning, like, yeah, it's just a burning sensation on my leg, and um, I touched it, and it felt wet, it felt moist, but I couldn't see anything, like I looked, and I didn't see any liquid or anything. So I brushed it off, you know, it's just maybe an itch or something. And then um, I felt it burn even more. So I had a look. And as I looked, I saw this cut, like something cutting me, but not like scratching with a fingernail. Looked like it was being cut with almost cauterized as it's cutting. And when I looked, I could see there was a couple of dots of blood along the way. Um, but towards the whole top, and, and actually, I got a tattoo, an alien, uh, sorry, a UFO tattoo on my right ankle, on the inside of my ankle. And this scratch was right through the, the UFO tattoo, right through the middle of it. And as I'm looking, I'm watching, I can actually see this cut coming up my leg. So I got my phone and I started to film it. And I reckon I got it moving maybe about two or three mil, maybe. But it's once I started filming it, it stopped. And then I'm like, shit, you know, I could see the blood off the scratches. I'm like, what the hell? It's a big scratch. And then all of a sudden I feel the um, 
back of my calf, like on the side almost. And I looked and there was one massive scratch, really massive scratch from almost just near my ankle, just under my uh, knee. And then as I'm trying to analyze the, you know, I'm trying to think what the hell, I, f I feel just in front of my knee on the inside under my knee, uh, just above the shin, I felt really bad burning. And when I looked, I saw four scratches. I wish I could send you photos to could have put them up, but I've got photos of it. It's all documented. Um, that petrified me. That scared me because something was physically hurting me right in front of my eyes, and I couldn't do a thing about it. It could have cut my throat if it wanted to, and I couldn't have done a thing about it. Couldn't have stopped it. Stop what? I can't see it. And um, that really, really concerned me that at 10 past, five i rang my niece in the morning and i don't usually do that and she was like are you okay is everything all right she obviously she thought something's wrong and i said look something happened to me to this morning um if something happens to me i didn't do it i didn't do it to myself like i thought if i die or you know they say oh, i suicide I committed suicide or something i was saying to something happened to me there's scratches on me i didn't do it to myself but if something happens really bad, then know that I didn't do it. I want you to know I didn't do it. That was, and that, that honestly really got to me. But, um, and then in 2017, I, um, again, I was sitting in the lounge room watching TV and I had a, I had bought a budgie, a little white budgie and I had him in the cage, but I'd leave the cage door open so he could get out and fly around and, you know, I'd call him, I'd put my finger up and he'd come and land on me. And it's a really friendly bird, well-trained. And um, I'm sitting there watching TV and all of a sudden I hear bird's wings, you know, like fluttering, the, that whooshing, you know, I heard that whooshing. And I instantly looked back behind me. I turned around and looked back because I thought my little budgie was going to land on my shoulder or, you know, on my head. And what I saw wasn't a little budgie. I saw a full-sized eagle with one wing above my left side the wing was it was almost like over me like that but hugging me almost you know it was wrapped around me and his other wing was over away from him from me and it landed on the arm of the lounge next to me and as it landed it looked like it had like an eggshell almost covering like a veil it, it was like a headdress thing but then it looked like it was a veil but it, it wasn't flexible it wasn't material it looked a bit more i don't let's i say eggshell but um anyway it um i'll start it once it landed and its wings you know brought its wings together and it sat there i'm looking at it from the top down and i noticed the tail and the tail looked like it had mosaics it was like jewels it was made of like heaps and heaps of different colored jewels you know diamonds rubies opals you name it it was all different stones and then all of a sudden as i looked at the bottom of the tail i saw the tail start to break apart and i could see the jewels falling and i could hear them and see them bouncing off the ground off the tiles they were just if you grabbed a hand of marbles or you know those cheap rocks and that the colored rocks and through them and that noise they would make that's what i was hearing that's what i was seeing and someone has said to me had you reached out and grabbed maybe caught something you might have been rich and i was like maybe that was an opportunity maybe that's 
you know, that's how they offer you these opportunities and I didn't take it. But, um, yeah, that was strange. And But there's that's what I'm trying to point on making is you can have these experiences that are profound, that are life-changing, but then you can have what comes with it as well that's really negative and really wants to do harm to you. And that's why, I, I you know, I prefer people don't wish it on them. If it happens to you, it happens. But, you know, don't go wishing for it. Um, because sometimes you may not be able to handle it. Yeah, exactly. Like, be careful what you wish for, right? Eh? That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, mate, look, your whole story here is like absolutely amazing. You know, like the detail, the, the thoughts, and the, the the process behind everything. Like, like you're you even explaining your emotions that's going through it, mate. Like, has anyone tried to like sort of discredit you and what your stories are? Your look, time? I. I, I want to apologise for jumping back and forward and that. Usually, as I said, I do it in chronological order, but there were things that's just the, yeah, it gets, to me, for me, it gets a bit boring because, you know, 31 years I've been telling it in chronological order and that, and sometimes, yeah, I just it's it's just good to go jump back and forth and let people see that it, it happens, you know, at different times of your life and it happens, um, yeah, it's a, but look, I've obviously I've had people um, try and discredit me. Yeah, I'd, you know, I'd be a fool to think they didn't. But um, one experience I remember, um, the the uh, skeptics president at the time, and I'll probably have skeptics coming out of the work now attacking the hell out of me, but that's okay. Um, the skeptics president at the time, I believe his name was Barry Williams, and. We did a TV show, a local TV show in Redfern where he appeared and actually Bill Chalker, myself, and he appeared and then two weeks later when John Mack came out, they um, did a show with John Mack involved as well. But, yeah, he was there and he was like um, saying, oh, this and, – and I've listened to him speak at the Powerhouse Museum. Um, he gave a talk once and I had real issues with him because I don't mind people who will read your case um, and try and target points that they can question or discredit. I don't mind that. That's peer review. That's people who want to be sceptical. They want to be gullible. I get it. I get it. I'm the same. Um, but I don't like it when people are armchair debunkers. They don't want to look at your case. They don't want to look at your evidence. They just want to discredit it. They don't care. They'll say you were drunk. I've had people, honestly, I've had people accuse me of hiring prostitutes at seven o'clock in the morning when I'm head injuries, I'm suffering from head injuries, a stab wound. I've been, you know, really, really in, in a bad way and I'm hiring prostitutes to come at my house. How, how dare they? I had a wife at the time. Like, where are these prostitutes? Why hasn't a woman, anyone in Australia come out? And my case is very well known, very well documented. Why hasn't anyone come out and said, Oh, I was the one. I was. Now, in saying that, I shouldn't even cover this point, but you know what? I won't name anyone, but I'm going to cover it because only recently, in the last 12 months, a lady that lives in youth, I shouldn't even say that. Anyway, okay, won't mention names. Newfoundland in Canada has been sending me messages after messages after messages telling me that she was the blonde. In my experience in, in 92 but she would have been eight years old at the time and she said oh no but i changed my age when i and it just it falls apart quick smart and then she sort of had a go at me for questioning it and and 
there was, there's a couple, there's an actor who's in New Zealand um, and uh, she's trying to say that he's my and her child and so is his twin brother and um, just a really, really crazy, crazy situation. But all I said to her, I don't want to, as, as I've said to my, the, my partner now, Mary, I said to her, I don't want to upset people like that because she'll turn and she'll just go ballistic on the internet, bad-mouthing everything and everyone. But um, first of all, it couldn't have been that person. And second of all, I can't see how you would have been eight years old at the time and then tell me, but no, I, I can change my age and be whatever age I want and all that sort of stuff. But that's the closest anyone has come to saying, yeah, yeah, I was that female. And it's yeah. so far-fetched, it's not funny. But um, this, this, I've, I've had sceptics, um, maybe not even sceptics. I think they're just idiots on the internet making these claims. Oh, he had prostitutes. Oh, he was... He got drunk and he had okay how how do you explain the dna how do you explain the hair samples how do you explain that i passed the pot look i'm not too big on the polygraph i'll tell you now um a lot of people brag about it or talk about it and mention it and say oh he passed the polygraph or i passed the polygraph okay the reason i took the polygraph in the show i was involved in uh was because i thought it was accurate not because i knew how to deceive it i'm not a cia trained person I did it because when I was asked, I was put on the spot. It wasn't something that was discussed, and I went and researched it and tried to find ways to beat it. I did an interview on the Saturday, and then on the Sunday, I got a phone call, and the person that was in the show, um, the son of the, the person involved in the show, said to me, your story was really interesting, very well um, like um, detailed. Would you be prepared to sit a lie detector test? Yes, I'll do it. I've been waiting to do one for 20 years was my response, instant. And I said, I've been asking Bill Chalker to do one and I'll even take the truth serum if I have to. And I actually swore when I, I said, yeah, fucking I thought, sorry. <laughs> and um, he goes, oh, look, I'm going to ask you the question again. I should have told you we're recording. Um, so don't put the swear word in. So I just said, friggin' oath I would. I've been asking for 20 years to do this, you know. Let's do it. And then when they cut back to him later in the hotel and when I saw the show, he actually says, well, you've got to give the guy credit because he didn't even say, let me think about it, let me talk to someone, you know, I'll, I'll let you know, I'll ring you back. Yep, I'll do it. Let's do it. And at the same time, one of his mum's clients, his mum's a therapist, uh, had, had done hypnotherapy sessions with her and he was an ex-Navy SEAL apparently. Um, I felt so sorry for the guy because he was also put through a polygraph test and so was I on the same show. And her, the lady's son said about the other person, he said, he'll 100%, I think because he was Navy SEAL or ex-Navy SEAL, a bit more credible than me. I'm a builder. You know, I was in the building trade. I do security. But he said, 100%, I have no doubt he'll pass. Well, poor guy failed. And that's why I was disappointed with Close Encounters Down Under. They very well knew that the guy had failed a polygraph test on the show called My Mum Talks to Aliens. And they still played that video of him, which I thought was really bad. Um, it wasn't fair on the guy, you know. But anyway, when the polygraph examiner told told Mary and her son, he said, I, I guess, you know, you're wondering how Peter, Peter passed, you know. My, my, my comment was, 
I'm happy. And I said it in a dead tone, really. I'm happy. Like, okay. I said, I want to know what Chris thinks. And he says, this is what pissed me off, sorry. He goes, um, his response to, I want to know what Chris says. I believe Peter believes it. Now, you asked me to do lie detector test. I didn't come to you and tell you to, to give me one. You asked me. So obviously you were trying to see if I was going to say yes or no. And if I said no, you can cast doubt on my case. And yet if I failed, that's why Bill Chalker was totally, totally against me doing it. He argued with the producers for two hours and it would have made great television. It would have made great television. It was a great debate. And um, he presented a pretty good case. And uh, I ended up doing it because I just thought, no, it's going to it's, it's gonna tell the truth. Am I lying or am I telling the truth? And I knew I was telling the truth. Um, so, yeah, there's been a lot of people who try and discredit my case or badmouth my case. or, But you know what? I'd like to see if they've even read the case in its entirety. I'd like to know if they've read the um, uh, scientific report on it, the DNA report on it. It's all there. And, you know, people usually will go, oh, it was done in a crappy lab. It was done in, like in Bill Chalker's shed on a newspaper. And when they find out that the, the experience and the knowledge that this guy has on the DNA topic, like people refer to his books when they're talking about DNA. So this guy knows what he's talking about. I think I think it's got people thinking and whether they want to accept it and take it on board as someone's, re you know, it's my reality, it's happening to me, maybe it's not happening to them. But just because something doesn't happen to you, you don't experience it, it doesn't mean it's not happening to other people. It doesn't mean other people around the world or around you in your family aren't having these experiences. I think we've just got to be open-minded. Don't be gullible. Don't believe everything you hear. But you've got to be open-minded. And when someone, a friend, a family member comes to you and says, look, I need to talk to someone and I, I, I want to tell you a story. You're not going to believe this, but this is what happened to me. Don't judge them. Don't give them your opinion because you, you're not an expert. You don't know anything about the topic. Just listen to them and and tell them, you know, I may not. And I've had a lot of people do this with me. Look, I work in the security industry. I've got a really good reputation, good name, um, well respected by, by my peers. Um, I work at an iconic landmark. I won't name it. Um, in Sydney, um, I work with a lot, a lot of different people. I've even worked, we've worked with the debt premier's department. We've done work with politicians like I'm very good at what I do and I'm very well respected and I get people come up to me and I work with a lot of people with Islamic background, Middle Eastern background and Islamic and they're friends of mine and they say to me, Peter, we don't believe in this, but I believe you. And I've had a number of people say that to me. I don't believe in this, but mate, I believe you. They know me. They know I'm not that type of person to go and do. Why would anybody do this to themselves? why the millions of dollars i'm making um if you ever look behind me you'll see there's thousands of books in my office that's cost me money out of my pocket people haven't donated these to me people don't send me checks in the mail i make no money out of this i'm financially i'm at a loss when it comes to the ufo stuff so why would i put myself through that why would i put my children through that through all that um when I've had a couple of movie offers and I had people filming here for three months and then they went to Lebanon filmed for two weeks and on the roof of that, or actually, no, they couldn't get on the roof of the same building because the person there was suffering through cancer. So they got onto our building across the road, which is 
uh, three stories and there's is two. So they got a really good view of that um, roof. Um, and I think um, he ended up, actually, I know, he gave me a CD of, of that everything he basically did over that three months plus 11 on and he into it was the first time ever i gave anyone access to my wife's as an interview and my children so they had access to interview my children who were younger at the, i think my son might have been about four, four, 15 14 my daughter 11 or 12 and i never ever would give anyone access to that and i gave them access and and the guy was really nice. He was a gentleman and he worked on his own mainly to get everything set up and that. Um, he'd be at my house every night. We'd have dinner. I'd shout one night, he'd shout the next. Um, and then he came back from Lebanon and he came to me and said, you know, after all this time, all this prep work, he said to me, oh, mate, the, produce, the producers or directors or whatever, um, they want you to take a polygraph test and they want you to do a drug test. And I was like, well, you can tell them to fuck off because I did a I did a polygraph test. I passed it. What they're going to keep asking me to do polygraph tests till I fail one, like they did with Travis Walton, say. And I said I will never take another polygraph test. There's no reason for me to because even if I pass it, so I'm going to do nothing. But if I fail it, it's going to cast out, or people will cast out. They won't say he passed one. So no, I won't be doing a a, a polygraph. And I said, and screw you and your drug test. What has whatever so even in 19, 1992 we're like at the time it was about 25 years later i'm saying what bearing has that got to do with then and now like i couldn't understand it and that's that me straight away i pulled the plug and i've, I've heard people ask uh bill in a, a recent podcast he did with jamie leonardo and ja i met jamie and i worked closely together we formed this group when we first started but then we went our separate ways but I heard Jamie ask a question to Bill, which Bill disappointed me that he didn't answer it correctly. Jamie asked, why hasn't Peter's case be, uh, been made into a film? And um, Bill said, oh, you know, if it doesn't happen in America, they're not interested. Uh, well, two of the, the movie offers were from Australia and then another four were from uh, America or I think Canada and America. But um, that's the thing. Um, I don't, I'm not after a movie about my life and experiences. I'd like it to be documented, but there's documentaries out there, there's stuff, it's it's out there. But a movie for my ego, if I wanted to boost my ego, I would have just basically said to these guys, yep, let's do it. Make a movie about me. Wow, you know. But I'm not like that. As soon as they mentioned polygraph and that again, I thought, just that's it, we're done. And I pulled the plug. And um, I've had a, another one, or you know, that fell through twice actually with the same company but um it was just excuses making out like oh we've sent you emails you haven't received but there wasn't that communication bit frustrated bill chalker a lot too so yeah I, to me if it's meant to happen and someone wants to document my story my life story i'm happy to do it but i'm not pursuing it i'm not chasing it i'm not contacting um producers and i had a guy he was on there 12 months. I contacted him after 12 months and I said, look, I'm sorry for the delay, but um, I'm not really, you know, um, if someone can do my story justice, I'll go with it. But I don't want my story changed in any way, shape or form. And I know they've got to have some artistic um, play here and there, you know, they've got to use the imagination and play with it a bit. I understand that. But um, 
you know, once again, I've got two children and my son turns 28 tomorrow. My daughter's 24. And, you know, there's things that I know they'd want to put in there, like the sexual aspect of it and that and children, you know, breeding, whatever. I worry about that. I worry about how it will affect my children, you know. Um, and, yeah, look, I think I, I think there is breeding. I think I do have something out there. Um, I know I have because I've met that person. Um, but, yeah, I've got to be very cautious and um, think about other people in this too. You know, there'll come a time, I think, when I can uh, maybe op openly speak about that and um, hopefully hurt no one. But, you know, um, yeah, some people handle it differently and my kids aren't handling it all that well. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, they support me and all that, but um, they don't want to look into their own things, put it that way. Yeah, which is fair enough. Like, there's a lot of things uh, that be taken into account when telling these stories. Like you said, like you know, a lot of people can. Well, there's a lot of crazy people, as you mentioned. There's that woman over in Canada um, trying to attack you personally and trying to make silly claims. There's other people that make stupid claims that, for whatever reasons, trying to get their own, I don't know, their own egos, their own attention for the two yeah. for whatever it's worth, you know, which is totally understandable. Um, but look, uh. I've got heaps of questions here for you to go through. Um, if you sure. still have time, um, yeah, sure. Um, like, I, I, one thing I don't usually do is I don't usually take notes while I'm doing the show. <laughs> I don't make um, questions up, and uh, but because uh, it's such a a, a big uh, uh, recollection of your your life story here, um, I, I had to go and start taking notes down. I'm like, all right, well, all right. <laughs> so anyway, I'll get stuck into it. So babbling on. So I want to take it yeah, back. Back to your home in Lebanon, there. Um, so, like, you're back on, on top of the, the 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 building there on the rooftop. And like, before we started the show, that you actually mentioned, like, when you you're all you all ran up the stairs and that, and everyone's all frozen like mannequins and such. You even made mention that, like, you even thought about, like, you know, that if people are running upstairs and that, you're going to be huffing and puffing and carrying on. And, you know, and you know I only thought about that today. It only hit me hmm. today. Like, I can't. Yeah, I don't understand how I never thought of that. But yeah. You're running, you know, you're running up the stairs. I don't care how fit you are. You're going to be breathing heavy. You're going to, your heart's going to be racing and pounding. And, yeah, and it, and it just, like, switched off so quickly. I That's that's something, yeah, I never really, really thought about. Yeah. So, like, um, have you heard any thoughts on, like, what the whole concept of what happened on that rooftop might have been? Um, look, I... I went back to Lebanon for the first time in 2000 and I sort of asked a couple of my cousins if they recall anything like that. I guess it happened so long ago and they've been through a war, you know what I mean, 15 years of war. Um, their memories are jaded and so on. But while we were sitting there, my auntie came to visit us from Beirut um, and her, all the, the children came, you know, and my cousins. And while we were sitting in a circle, you know, out on the patio, um, one of my cousins, uh, she passed away, I think, around 2017, 2018, I think, uh, from cancer. She was the youngest uh, one in the family too. Um, her name was Lillian. And um, she was sitting next to me and as we're talking, 
she said to me, can I tell you something? Real quiet between us, you know, like there was a whole group of about maybe 15 people sitting there. And she sort of said it softly, can I talk to you about something? And I was like, yeah, sure. And she was like, oh, she looked around and her sisters were like, what? You're going to tell him that story? And then she's like, yeah, I am. And then she tells me, she said she was in the car with her friends on a, in Lebanon on the country sort of road. Um, no houses, you know, just like just shrubbery around and that uh, open field, whatever. And she said they were driving. She was in the back seat and she looked, she was looking out the car window and she said to me, she saw exactly what she said, what you just described, the shape of the head, the shape of the eyes, the arms by the, the stand there, very thin figure. She said, I saw exactly it. She started crying. Or she started shaking. She started crying. And then she's like, I started screaming at the driver to stop the car, stop the car. And then by the time he stopped and we reversed back to have a look, she said it was gone. Now, that's the closest that one of my cousins had mentioned something. Um, I didn't ask her how, how old they were at the time, but obviously must have been, you know, early 20s, I'd say, because they're in a car driving, whatever. But, um, yeah, I... That's the only person that said something to me that's related to me, uh, family-wise. Um, yeah, but uh, I, I, other than that, I don't. Yeah, even even I mean, as I said before, my own children. Um, there's a couple of things there, but you know, if they don't want to look into it, I I just leave it at that. Um, yeah, it, I don't know. I, I just think people in different countries have different issues, different lifestyles and different pressures. Um, we might have a little bit of time here where we can sit back and think of UFO, you know, look, research it or something. Over there, mate, at the moment, you know, their <laughs> life's pretty tough in Lebanon at the moment for people to leave there. You can go on holiday there and be a king, you know, and splash some money around and you'll do right, but... The people that are there all the time living there it's hard and um, last thing on their mind would be this sort of stuff but um one day i'd like to go back and maybe investigate this but the funniest thing when i was in lebanon i actually had lebanese radio do an interview with me and uh, my uncle was a bit concerned and um he said to me oh when you go to australia we'll probably get government people come here to harass us you're going to leave you won't even be here for it and i'm like harass you about what because your opinions because what you were saying on there because they you know and i was like oh my god you know if someone does a radio interview and you know your relatives are going to get questioned about it what sort of country you live in you know <laughs> seriously like talk about freedom of speech i put something on the internet the other day actually it was on my facebook page and i've put something up and it was it was related to the uh mexican um jaime musan that little alien that they've said they've dna tested and they've you know found three eggs and all that stuff um but funny enough um i'll probably get some haters here someone put something and they put biden the uh, joe biden's picture as the head <laughs> yeah i think i saw that post actually <laughs> yeah i just posted it and i said non-human intelligent fossil found <laughs> <laughs> And this person, oh mate, this person attacked the hell out of me and 
I didn't mention Trump whatsoever. And all of a sudden, I get this picture at the mugshot of Trump. Look at this crook. He'll never, ever be president ever again. And you're blocked in capital letters. I was like, geez, you know, I didn't even oh, mention the guy. And that's, yeah, that's how I stay away. I'd rather talk aliens than politics, to be honest with you. So, yeah. So, um, look, it sort of leads me to like another question here. Like, uh, you, you, has there been like a bit like a uh, family history previously? Like, I'm not talking about your current family now, but like your previous family, um, like your mother, your cousins. Like, has there been any sort of history with them? Like, I know you did mention like they've always seen stuff, uh, throughout the time. So, like, yeah, yeah. Well, my mom, has there been like, any personal encounters or something like with mother, grandparents, or such a lot? Like um, that you're aware of? Look, I, I think my mum has. I'm actually sure my mum has had experiences and um, just doesn't know how to process them, I guess. Um, my brother, my oldest brother. Um, look, even my oh, – this this annoys me. Even my second eldest brother, um, I've got a sister and, three, and two brothers, myself, three boys, two girls. Um, my second eldest brother is so sceptical but arrogantly sceptical. He's not – you know, I, I don't like that. And um, he is, he shoots down my my case. Or, oh, no, you, you were dreaming or whatever, right? But then one day my sister was having a birthday and we had two priests, uh, friends from St. Charbel Church, the Lebanese church, come down. They were at my parents' place. And I walked in and um, they're at the dining table sitting down. You know, I, at first I didn't know they were priests. And then my sister said, oh, this is Father such and such. And I realised. and um, I I heard him talking, and they were talking about some guy in the congregation that in the parish that um, is having these really crazy experiences with beings with big eyes, black eyes. And this is what I'm listening to, right? And my brother says, "Yeah, and Father, sometimes me, I I get this feeling in my in bed, and I can't move, and I feel like it's like the old Hanks Hag syndrome almost." He feels something sitting on his chest, and he can't move, it and it's and he's paralysed, and it's he can't fight it, and that. And then the priest said to him, "When you read the Bible, um, never stop mid sentence, or you know, always finish finish the sentence, go to a full stop, and then you know, close it. Don't just sort of stop reading, finish the sentence or paragraph or whatever he said." And as I'm standing there stunned, I said to my brother, "I said, you have a go at me. You say oh, I'm dreaming." And then you're describing similar stuff, like something similar to what happened to me. But, you know, and he goes, yeah, but you think, and he did exactly this. He goes, you think they're from up there, right, space. And then that's when the priest, two of them, they sort of got caught their attention. They go, hang on a minute. Do you believe they're alien? I went, yeah, I do. And he goes, oh, same with this guy that's in our parish, but he's got a religious twist to it. Because what he saw, they were wearing robes, and there was three of them. He says that it was Saint Charbel, Saint Martala, and Saint uh, some other saint, three saints. And I'm like, I'll tell you right now, it wasn't Saint Charbel, and it wasn't saints. You know, but I think that guy saw them hooded, and Saint Charbel wears a hood, a robe, you know, and that's the way he's dealing with it. He's religious. He puts a religious twist to it. And he deals with it that way. And um, they were saying to me, oh, you got you and him should get together. Uh, we think he needs some help. He's struggling with this. He's really upset by it. And um, 
yeah, that's that's just one thing where my brother sort of didn't even open up. He slipped and said something. Uh, but yeah, my oldest brother reckons he's had some experiences, and um, he witnessed me walk, being taken through the hallway, levitating, and that uh, with beings around me. Um, I look, I don't ask my sister much. She's she's had a really rough time. Um, not only divorce, but she had fluid brain fluid leaking out of her ear. She had surgery and the, the doctor mucked it up and paralyzed her face. So oh. she's got enough on her plate. Last thing I want to do is, you know, question her and that. But she's never come out openly and said, oh, yeah, I've had something happen to me too or anything. Uh, but, you know, once again, it's not a topic that we discuss openly um, as a family. Um, I'd probably discuss this more with my friends rather than family. Yeah, fair enough. So it also brings me to another question, like back there, uh, back in Lebanon too. Like, did you happen to like track down any of the old friends that you played with there to see if they can recollect anything at all? No, I tried. That's what I was saying to you. I, I, well, a couple of them were living overseas at the time, and actually, one of them found out that I was in Lebanon. At the, the kid from the house, one of the, it was a brother and a sister who were playing with us. We, we went onto their roof. Yeah, and there was a fair bit of activity that was happening at that house too. So. That were the focus of something as well. But um, um, I'll just tell you a quick story at the, about that house. Uh, but, but first of all, uh, he found out I was in Lebanon, so he sent me a gift and he gave me a watch. And his mum came and gave it to me. She said, oh, um, uh, Walid sent you this. He, you know, he, he, he's saying it. One day he got, I don't know what happened to him. He screamed and we thought he got stung by a bee. So I, I actually said to him, did a bee sting you because we were playing out in the field? And he didn't say anything. He had his foot on this rock, like a chalky rock, but it was sharpened like an axe almost, like an axe head. He just picked it up and threw it and hit me straight in the head, and I've still got a scar right here on my temple from it. And his mum come over and gave me the watch, and she said he still feels terrible about throwing that rock at you. You know, this is like years later, 40 years later. It was so funny. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah. Um but that house in particular, uh, I remember one one time my dad came back. Um, my dad would come back to Lebanon for two weeks, one, two weeks, and then shoot off again for a year, you know, six months to, to 12 months before we'd see him again. And he, I remember this because he was there. And um, we were playing outside the, that same house, but out the front. And what, the, the eldest daughter was studying for HSC, so she was sitting on a chair and she was rocking her chair back and forth at the front door, against the front door. So the chair would hit the front door and you'd hear a little knock every now and then, you know, like wood hitting wood. And as we're playing, we all, all of a sudden we hear, honest to God, it was like someone got a battering ram or like a telegraph pole and just was swinging it into the back door, trying to break the back door. It was so loud. So my brothers who, who were older than me and their friends, they went over and got my dad. I, I would have been, what? seven years old maybe just not even eight yet um so they ran over and told my dad that someone's trying to break into the neighbor's house my dad got his old gun he used to you know put the gunpowder in it and this <laughs> uh, anyway oh mate ancient gun anyway he bought it out loaded it up and bought it out and all the little kids myself and all the little kids went with my dad because he had the gun and then all the older, you know, the teenagers went around the other side of the house and they had sticks and, you know, whatever they could find, shovels, whatever. And as we converged around the back of the house, there was no noise. It stopped. Like, as we were walking towards it, it was happening. 
very loud. And then as we got there, we come, we rounded the corner where we should have seen something there. There was nothing there whatsoever. And then my dad's saying, question, are you sure you heard it here? You didn't hear it up the road, you know, somewhere up the road? No, no, it was here. It started at the front. Oh, it started yeah. banging at the front like it was doing the same thing at the front door. Now, the only way they could have got there is either through the house or over the house. There's no way they could have gone on either side of the house because we were all there. And whatever they were carrying to bang that door, if it was an object they were using, it was bloody big. So they couldn't have run around that quick with something that heavy. But that's that's one incident that stood out for me because my dad was there and I remember him with the gun and that. And, it, you know, I thought, wow, my dad could shoot someone, you know. Um, yeah, but um, I don't know. I, I, it's, I think it's just the the religious thing too they don't like to talk about it some of them think it's demonic or it's not godly or it's not angels you know what i mean and they don't want to talk about it they'd rather not that's the thing that's why my uncle said to me oh the government will probably come and you know pay us a visit when you go yeah. back home to australia um yeah uh, look for me to me the way i see it um whether it's a skeptic whether it's a believer whatever um i tell you my story not to get anything out of it or out of you if if i t if i'm if you ask me to tell you my story and i tell you my story what gain is there for me to tell it like what am i getting what advantage is it giving me nothing and i remember once uh, uh we went to um the powerhouse museum in sydney and uh, barry williams the skeptics president was speaking and um we're all sitting there in the audience and it was a full house, I have to say. And everyone's listening to him rip into abduction, alien abductions and UFOs. He was tearing it to shreds, tearing it apart, trying to do his best. And Bill Chalker was in the audience as well. And um, I remember him making a comment that really, really pissed me off and I took him up on it. And I'll tell you what eventuated out of that, me querying that comment um he's talking and he says he might just stupidly i don't know why who would say that he said ah oh, look all this abduction stuff that's have that people are reporting it's um women on their menstrual cycle it causes that sort of stuff and people were aghast Pete, you could say i looked around the audience and i could see people were like what the hell did he just say so i put my hand up and he's gone yes he didn't know who i was at the time I, he goes yes and i said okay so your explanation for alien abductions, females menstrual cycle, their period, right? He goes, yes. I said, well, how do you explain men like me who have the experience? And everybody cracked up laughing. Everybody in the audience was laughing. Mate, he called security on the microphone, called security. Two security guys come running in with their hands on their guns. They were armed and they run. And he's got, I want him out. I want him out of here. Kick him out. Get him out of here. And most of the people in that room stood up and said you take him out we're walking out with him what did he why what did he do that was so violent that you want him kicked out escorted by armed guard and then bill chalker walked out in the foyer <laughs> and barry williams if you have a look at his photo profile that he looks like santa claus he really does <laughs> but barry had a group of people talk to him bill chalker walked up to him he said barry you're not a skeptic you're an armchair debunker and he just got flustered wet red that's the 
extent of an attack from a skeptic and it was their president so but you know i'm sure they target me like when they're talking amongst each other oh that peter Curry case is stupid or whatever but no one's ever come to task i had a scientist i work with um questioning my case and i walked into the office once uh we were doing a job an event and he was talking about it and he was saying oh, i'll prove it in five minutes that it's wrong so i stood behind him and when he turned around he was shocked to see me there and i said you know what my house is worth one one point i'll put my house on the line i said i will give you my house tomorrow i'll sign it over to you tomorrow and there's witnesses if you can prove my case the dna is all wrong faulty whatever that guy and i have become best mates he finishes work sometimes he'll call me and come and visit me where i'm working and bring a pizza we're just good mates and not everybody that questions does it because they're they've been nasty or you know they're trying to look make themselves look smart and they're explaining the whole topic away i think people generally find it hard to believe if they're not experiencing it if they haven't experienced it themselves they think no one else has and look there's i was talking to my partner about this today when i was growing up i thought every household grew up what did things the way my family did and then when i started going to friends places and i went to a friend's place and he had a single mum and there was no dad around and the mum was working and he'd go home after school open the door go in and wait till his mum got home i didn't have that i didn't i didn't think people lived like that so i can understand that if people haven't experienced this phenomena or researched it and looked at some good cases that have evidence and they can you know see base there's some bases there there's some truth there um, i can understand how they can't believe it you know it doesn't happen to everyone every day and until it does i think people will keep questioning but you know anthony as you know now we're in a really interesting time now where i've always had an issue with the disclosure project and i've had stephen bassett at my house we invited 50 people invite only and it was mainly researchers um and investigators and so on and he gave a talk um and he said within 12 months 100 percent will know the truth about ufos it'll all come out in 12 months i think that was about it was actually just after the 9 11 attacks because he had his car yeah i remember this because he had his car parked in america in a street and what they were doing at that time is if you leave a car more than a day the government comes and tows it because they think it might be something sinister yep. so he was on the phone at my house using my phone apologizing that he had to use the phone so much to try and get this car moved before they towed it so it was yeah it was a it was a while ago and that's how long i've been waiting and lucky i didn't hold my breath and i've heard it from everywhere you know next year next year within the 12 months within this stuff and it's been a long long time it's been decades but mm -hmm. now now i can see look i'll never expect the government to tell us the truth unless you catch him red-handed unless you you can put the ufo or the alien or the dna evidence there they're not going to admit to it even under pressure they'll probably say oh it's some rouge country that has this uh, technology but don't want to share it or they're on my They'll, they'll never tell us the truth mate they don't want us to know the truth it's not in their interest for us to know the truth and until maybe the aliens decide that it's time i think we'll be waiting for a while but like look 
a lot of people saw David Crush come in with with you know Ross Coulthard interview, which he, I think Ross Coulthard did a fantastic job. Um, I can't wait to shake his hand. Actually, um, I think he did fantastic. He's been attacked by different media outlets um, only because they didn't do the story and you know got popular. But um, I thought David Crush Crush was going to be more credible, and now they're questioning his. Credential, so, not credentials, yeah. but his, you know, his mental health stuff. And that, that's different. He's not the guy. You can't judge someone by mm. if they have a health issue or something. You know, they, this guy's put his reputation and his livelihood on on the line, and gone public. And I, can't, I don't see him getting paid for all this. I don't see him making money out of this. No, I don't know. Maybe he does, but I don't know. I, I just feel sorry for the guy because I think he's put himself out there um at risk as well and unfortunately his evidence may not be enough because a lot of people that were going to talk as well backed off when they saw how badly he was criticized look no one in the world in life has a perfect life no one i don't care who you are even the pope i don't care who you are you're a human being regardless of your position we all have made mistakes we all have histories we all do wrong and you know we we learn from it hopefully and if we do we become better people but no one is has no faults at all and it shits me when if they can't attack the case the evidence that the case has they'll attack the witness every single time yeah. you know and and they'll accuse the witness of being drunk of being whatever and but they have no evidence to back it they want us to provide all the evidence but then they can discredit you, your case, your personality, your you know, your livelihood, and that without any evidence whatsoever. They don't need to provide that. Um, that's a that's a thing I have with the skeptics, and you know. But um, I take them on open hand. I don't care, mate. Come, you know, come one, come all. Let them let them question. As I said in that close encounters um, show, at the end, the hair samples there, the DNA results there. The methods they used are there. Um, the lie detectors there. Come and check it. And if you can say to me, no, no, this is all wrong. If I can get a biochemist to say, Dr. Horace Drew is an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about, mate. This is all faulty. This is all wrong. I'll listen to that. But no one has to date. And the, the offer's there. The offer's still there. Yeah, absolutely. I feel that's what brings you more credibility because, like, you're not trying to make finance out of it. You know, you're not making money out of it. You're not making a life career out of it, as you're saying. Like, you know, you don't want a movie or anything like that to go and, you know, boost some sort of ego. Mate, I feel like it's like a, a massive credit to you for, you know, bringing the reality to what what's happened to you in that sort of regard. Um, but before well, we like, um, Sorry, I was going to say, I was going to say, I'm writing a book now and I've written probably 245 pages. I want it to be around 280, 300 pages, but I'm going slow with it, like, because I don't want to push. I don't want people to think, oh, look, he's right. I do want to write a book to get my story historically there. Um, my version, like there's Bill's book, Hair of the Alien, and he's done a great, great job with that one. And all the results from the DNA testing, the whole thing is in there. So people can really dig deep in that. But I want to put a version out there. And I'm not doing it to make money. I'm doing it to have a historical record where my kids can show it to their kids and you know, and look, with the hair sample, Bill Chalker had it for 10 years. Once I gave it to him to test, I didn't get it back for 10 years. And one day my daughter asked me and I said, look, I'll get it back. 
and I asked Bill and within a couple of weeks he brought it back and he brought a letter with it for me to sign to say that and Bill Bill does things he doesn't leave a stone unturned I really respect the guy I respect him not because he's written a book about me I respected him way before that it's because the guy raises the bar so high when it comes to research and investigation doesn't leave a stone un unturned that's why I like I wanted him to I was happy for him to write the book yeah and um yeah yeah and um i you know he didn't write it as a friend he wrote it as a researcher and if he saw any flaws in my case he was going to point them out yeah good that's, that's exactly how it should every case should be um, yeah. Regarded as. yeah it should be down to the finest detail you can possibly find that's what exactly. I find a lot of um posts like people trying to claim they're seeing objects in the sky they, they don't have that detail they, they even they lack the even like the time and date and that pisses me off you're like well you're trying to claim something you just got no evidence to go and backtrack it. um I, I, yeah, you know what? I've had people, look, we've had people say we've. I've had about eight people now. About seven of them have said they read my story two weeks later. They had exactly the same experience. Retrieved their samples. There was one guy who said, "My, I had my experience two weeks before Peter Curry's. So before my 1992 July 20th, he said he had it two weeks before, and he got yeah. hair samples and he put the hair in a bag." He's put it somewhere. He doesn't know where. He's going to find it one day. Mm. I don't know, you know. But as I said to Mary, my partner, I was talking to her, telling her this story, exactly what I just said to you, and she said, Peter, 31 years ago you had a hair sample. Over that 31 years, did you know exactly where that hair sample was? And I was like, yep, every single day I knew exactly where it was. If anyone mm. asked me, I would go, yep, here it is, instantly. And she was like, well, there you go. So if someone had an alien experience and found hairs in that, especially after reading my story, why would you drop it on the ground? Why would you yeah. leave it for an hour and then come back? So I don't know if people are, you know, trying to jump on this, but I had one guy uh, from 2012, really nice guy. He's actually now, he's a, he's made, he's a movie producer, director, um and I, I could mention him by name i don't think he'd mind christian fedora he came he contacted me in 2012 i was working in 2011 sorry i was working at the canada bay club and we had just had an armed robbery at the club i was working at and i had a shotgun to my head for seven minutes in an eight minute robbery the guy was threatening to blow my head off and um anyway there were three one driver and two in the club in that and i did really well no one was hurt got him out of the club and that um he came over to that same club and wanted to talk to me. It was just around that time. So there was a lot of tension. People were, were, were concerned, you know, when they saw someone come in, they didn't know that we were. Anyway, this guy walks in and um, he's Spanish background, I think, you know, South American, uh, walks in and we sat down and started talking. And he said to me, mate, I've had exactly what you've had, a blonde female, an Asian female, a hair sample. He goes, but I dropped the hair sample. and." You know, and he sincerely told me this story. And honestly, I believe him. So there are people out there. And that's what's strange, Anthony, like with the abduction, normal abduction stuff that you see with the greys and all that. Um, it's different. Like the experience is different. Not everybody has tit for tat stuff. Where with this, people are saying, I read Peter's case. And then two weeks later, I had this experience. But it's exactly the same. Like it's the females are blonde and an Asian. The experience is sexual. There's a hair sample. 
So what the scientists that the biochemists that did the the, the um, analysis on this on my hair sample were thinking at the at the time was are these aliens doing this on purpose? Are they placing DNA wanting to be found? And when I found it and it went te got tested, they were like, it's about bloody time. This is what the scientist told me, like the biochemist. He said, maybe they've been doing, and you're the one that got the hair out of all these people that have been doing to, you managed to get the hair and we've got it tested. And the aliens would be like, it's about bloody time. But, you know, don't forget 1992, DNA had just started then. Dolly the sheep didn't get cloned, I think, till 1993. Yeah. So, yeah, so cloning was it in its infancy at the time. We were just like, you know, a little crawling. We hadn't even got up to walk yet. And when when the funding came through um, to do the, the analysis on the hair sample, um, it, was, it was a sub substantial amount too. And it was great because it helped to try and research other cases where they did test a couple of hair samples and they came back prosaic. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You know, they were just normal uh, family members and that. Um, but even then, um, a large amount of money was donated and right, I didn't claim any of it, you know. They came here, they gave me $2,000 check. I donated 1000 to my group, the support group. And, um, you know, uh, people say to me, oh, no, that should have been up. No, like I wanted to go to research. I want more people to come forward and provide evidence and more hair samples that we can test my case alone it's good it's it's a strong case but if we were to get 10 20 100 
hair samples that we can test, they may not give you the same exact result, but some interesting results, similar or or even, yeah, maybe they are the same, will be the same. Geez, wouldn't that be interesting? Wouldn't but, it? You know, unfortunately, unfortunately, today we've had samples sent. Well, Bill Chalker has had samples sent to him and, you know, it hasn't panned out, which is unfortunate. I mean, I yeah. would love for other people to, to provide evidence. It'd be great. Oh, absolutely. Not only that, it's like it brings a much more credibility to your story as well. Um, like True, yeah. That, that, you know, it, it brings, makes it tenfold, you know. It's, True. If everyone's having that, so, and not to mention, like, you know, everyone else who have been having experiences as well, brings more credibility to their experiences as well, So, which means it forces the the government or the public or other organisations to actually start taking this a lot more serious, you know, and figure out what the hell is well, going on. Look, the interesting thing that's come out of all this with the Disclosure Project now, I've had a few people. It's a small world we live in, man. It's it's so small, honestly, but try walking it. Um, I had a, I grew up with a family, close family friend. We call, we say relatives. Um, he was a hard-ass gangster and he was killed in 98. And his nephew um, knows and respects me and, you know, grew up. Uh, he's younger than me, but he grew up knowing me and stuff. And um, one of his friends um, that he went to school with and played football with, he's got a friend in England, and the friend in England is a journalist. He rang him up and asked him, do you know about a guy, Peter Puri? He's got this alien case and that, Lebanese, uh, Christian. And uh, the guy says to him, oh, I went to school with a Christian Lebanese guy. I'll ask him. And he asked him, he said, hey, Hayes, uh, do you know a guy called Peter Puri, UFO stuff and all that? And the guy, he's... <laughs> He sent me, actually forwarded me the message. He goes, mate, I know Peter. I grew up with him. He was, uh, he's like an uncle to me. And he said, um, that case is legit. The whole story is legit. Now, the person, the journalist in England that made the call was Christopher Sharp. I don't know if you uh, know who he is. He's, yeah, just, um, that yeah, he's um, he's working. Um, he did an interview with Ross Coulthard and uh, Jimmy. Um, not long ago um really really he's, he's making waves he's doing really good work but um he um christopher was saying to me once they acknowledge the ufo topic like okay yeah there are these crafts and, and it's it's almost happening right but once they come out and no doubt ad announce it he said People like um, uh, Chris Mellon, um, Lou Elizondo, and their crowd, like their people, um, know are aware of my case. And he said, and because it's got the DNA evidence to it and that, they're really impressed with it. So he thinks that it could, once they admit UFOs and that, then it's going to go into the abduction. But apparently the American government are asking for amnesty. That's what he told yeah. me. And amnesty, so you know people can't sue them, mass class actions and stuff like that. So who knows, you know? But um, um, I'm just I'm just blown away again that 31 years later, they just the Americans are just sort of coming across my case and thinking that it's the holy grail. And I'm like, guys, it's been here for 31 years, you know? Yeah. It didn't happen yesterday. <laughs> Yeah, it's annoying. Yeah, I guess Bill's right. If it doesn't happen in America, they're not interested at times, you know. 
that's what I've said this a lot on the podcast too. Like, why is America carrying the reins on this? Like, why? Why did we? Yeah. Why? Why are we waiting for America and the Biden administration to turn around and tell the world, "Hey, yes, they're real. They're here. They're doing it." Why? I mean, there's been many, many governments that have already done it. Yeah. You know, Belgium government's done it. That even the Iranians have bloody done it. The Turks have done it, and they've released. They've released uh, military craft chasing it. Like a lot of them have done it, but for some reason, the world is just holding its breath and waiting for America to tell us the truth. Yeah, yeah. It frustrates the crap out of me with that shit. It's like, why? Oh. We don't need them. We don't need to rely on them. No, I, I don't know why we need the truth from them. They're not going to give it to you. No, it's just no. the way it is. But mate, look, I want to bring it back to. Um, I got I've still got a few more questions here, and I got some uh, questions in the comments here for you too. So, um. The story you mentioned there when you like you were dangling through the roof of this lady there and above her, like, do you have any idea what the purpose of that whole con that experience was? Obviously, sexual. Um, I, I, yeah, I really don't want to talk about that stuff, but um, that's all right. I know, I know it, I didn't like making someone, not that I, I did, not that I did it out of my own yeah. accord, I didn't go there. But just to be involved in something where I saw someone react like that, and let's face it, she was frozen, maybe out of fear or maybe, you know, paralysed, How they, what they do, how they paralyze. But she was helpless for me. She couldn't move. She couldn't fight. She couldn't even push someone away. Uh, couldn't even say no. You know, couldn't say no, stop, don't do this. But they make it happen. And unfortunately, I was a part of it. And uh, I'm not saying it was like rape or anything because I didn't feel that. I didn't feel that, you know, like it was sinister or bad. But just the fact that it was a person that bloody showed emotion and cried, that's why I said I'm so, so, so sorry, you know, because I saw she didn't want to play that game, you know. It wasn't something she chose to do. It was like you're making someone do something and they're not comfortable doing it. You know, but there might have been a reason. There might have been something that we had that sort of there's some sort of process. It. Yeah, I've yeah, yeah. I've never looked into it because it really affected me that case. I it emotionally really got me. Um, I yeah, I've I've never even wanted to look. Like, I read in that book, and people have said, "Why don't you find on that?" But I don't even want to go back and look at the book. I don't even want to read the page. You know, like. I should because I want to include it. I want to include the page number and the title of the book in my book so people can refer to it and look. So eventually I'll do it, but I'm sort of putting it on the back burner for now to do that because yes, it really, right. really got me emotionally, you know, and mentally sort of played with my mind for a while. Yeah, which is understandable. It's That's one of the big things I mentioned too with this whole um, abduction thing with people that claim abductions. Like, they don't give a shit who you are, where you are, what you're doing, or anything like that. Like, and the biggest part is none of it's none of it's consensual, or at least the fact that we don't we're unaware of anything's consensual. And then the fact that you you've brought that up there, that just makes oh, it look, a lot more horrible. Anthony, these things about contracts. Oh, they made the contract with you before you were born, or you know, fifty million years ago. Oh, you gave permission. Yeah. That's crap, mate. That's crap. People, I think people get targeted for specific reasons. I mean, why would an alien be looking at me through a window when I was 22 days old? 
Why? Yeah. yeah. You know, um, I'm going to be openly honest with you here, and I've probably never been this candid before, but I'm going to say that I believe that they could have even played a role in my mum being impregnated, or I think there's more to it than what we see. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't put it past you. Um, mm. Like the, the amount of stories are going. Like I'm guilty for one saying it's like, there's a, like a some sort of blood contract. Um, but, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's like a, some agreement in the past or whatever. But it's just yeah. like I'm more saying there's some sort of contract. I'm going to say contract, but it's something in the blood or the DNA and your family bloodline. That that's what I. That's what I think it is. Yeah. It's it is. Yeah. yeah, it's DNA related, and it's in the it's in the family bloodline. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've I've believed that for a long, long, long time, and the the more like um, my mum talked after after she said that in front of Bill, and um, I I I try and get my mum out of the house because she wasn't getting along with my my brother. My brother was living with my parents, and um, he started giving them a bit of a hard time. So I'd go there every day almost and take them take one of them out just to get them out of the house, and I did that for about you know four weeks straight almost every day i'll take my dad one day my mum the next just to get him out and um yeah she started we'd sit down and at a bench and that we start we'd talk about things and once she started to open up a little bit dementia hit and then i thought to myself did dementia play a role with her talking about that or did dementia let her forget her fears and she opened up you know but I'm, I'm without no doubt in my mind that my mother has had some experiences as well. Um, it it seems to happen through families anyway, and I know I shouldn't say this too loud, but I know with my own that they've had something. And look, I I'm not going to mention a name here, okay? It's family, but I had someone like at three o'clock in the morning. Um, I'll come home from work, security work, so I work late. Um, and someone walked out of the room crying in total tears and they buried their face in my chest and I thought it was the worst nightmare they've ever had. And um, they were saying to me, um, Dad, just ask them to leave me alone. And I'm like, why? And it's like, you know, Dad, just... Get them, tell them to leave me alone. I just want to be a kid. I want to be a normal kid. Please, Dad, like begging with me. And I'm like, darling, you've had a nightmare. No, Dad, I think it's, and, you know, it's like they want me to do this puzzle. It's not a puzzle. Um, it looks like a gun, but it's not a gun. I've got to put this bullet in it, but it's not a bullet. No, I don't want to do it, Dad. I just don't want to do it. Please, I just want to be a normal kid. And I'm like, who? Tell who. You know. You know who. Like, you know, when someone goes through that, how do you sit down with your child and talk about that? You know, like, yeah, and there's other things too, you know, but um, I'm probably overstepped the mark there by even saying that. But, um, yeah, there's things. And I get annoyed with people who talk about their kids in public, about they, they make out their kids that, like, start seeds or uh, they haven't. You've got to protect your children, like, this isn't a game. This isn't a TV show that you go on and, you know, you spend a week and then you go home and every. This is a life-altering experience. Uh, last thing you want to do is 
put your kids, young kids in, in that. We know it happens to kids as well. You know, we, we don't, I'm not stupid. I'm not naive. It's happened to me as a kid. But let kids deal with it in their own time. Don't be that parent that wants the, the spotlight or wants the attention and does it through their kid's experience. That's what, that annoys me. Let the kid in their own time come out and do it. You know, we've got to protect our children and especially with something like this. We don't fully understand this. We, I'm an adult. I don't even know, you know, probably 10% of what's going on and the rest is really, really congested up for congestion and question and who knows like multiple reasons different aliens could be abducting people for different reasons i mean yeah. if we all knew that we'd be people would be writing books and having the answers and universities would be using this information you know to educate people and that um but yeah one thing i'd like to see um is maybe universities taking this topic a bit more seriously and um getting some people in there with experience and knowledge like bill chalker and others who have done this for years and you know let them lecture on the on the topic and present it put it out there why why don't we do that why are we scared why are scientists or the scientific community and they're scared of dealing with this i don't understand i think um some people just don't want it to be true and i guess it's better um not to open not to put the spotlight on it so it just annoys me it frustrates me because i've been involved this with this for a long time now and every time i hear oh next year next year the truth come out um it frustrates me and i'm, I'm a normal average person i don't have you know qualifications university degrees and stuff like that and i can even think there should be educational programs about this stuff this is really really interesting field and um I think when the if the truth ever comes out, I don't. I think people they won't be ready. I don't know. Some people say, "Oh, everyone's ready, ready." I don't think they're ready for the psychological impact this will have on people's lives. I think people are ready to accept. Okay, oh yeah, UFOs exist. The government just said it. But then what? What about the fallout? And you know what people have mm. to deal with. Um, even the people now that are experiencing this thing, thinking their dreams are nightmares. Can you imagine when it becomes a reality, it proved to be a reality? Yeah. You know? Especially if it's like as sinister as it sounds, like, you know, like if it is something like, like I call ourselves like um, whatever's going on with these abductions or even our world in general, like an alien ant farm, you know, and they just do whatever the hell they want with us to go on for yeah. whatever reasons. And yeah. like, it is going to be scary, I feel, if it is as sinister as it sounds, is what they're doing and crap like that. So, I, any, in any a sense, big yeah, it's going to be any big change is scary you know and oh, this yeah. will be a worldwide change like COVID was scary you know mm. COVID we went through COVID for a couple of years that was scary so imagine being having the alien thing thrown right in your face that it's a reality that'll scare a lot of people I think you know yeah I think everyone will be rushing in to get the uh the you know bread and milk and toilet paper again I think <laughs> that's right well the toilet paper first that comes first we saw, <laughs> we saw people almost bash each other over toilet paper so imagine over food <laughs> oh mate uh so anyway I'm gonna go back to um your very uh personal encounters here um so look Going back to the story, like you mentioned that you had the, the, the blonde woman on top of you there and the Asian lady, like, woman, uh, 
kneeling down beside the bed. Well, like, was she clothed or what was her? Sort no, of... they were both completely naked. Yeah, both okay. completely naked. The the blonde female, I didn't see a belly button on her. Um, the Asian female had a belly button, or I thought I saw, I could see a belly button, what looked like a belly button, but she was sitting down, so it was there was a crease, you know, there was a fold there, so I couldn't really 100% say, yeah, it definitely, without a doubt, was a belly button, but I think I'd more assumed that it was. Um, but, um, yeah, just completely naked and... Um, look, other than other than the than than the features, the facial features, um, the blonde's body. I've like I've seen athletes, I've seen you know models. This one had just special genes, just special DNA. Um, when you talk about perfection. This female, it was perfection all over, head to toe. Um, like, yeah, very attractive. Um, yeah, but, you know, both were naked. Basically described every man's fantasy, basically. <laughs> well, I look, I know that, and <laughs> I get annoyed sometimes because, it, yeah, when, when, when I say to people, Oh look, you know there was a blonde female, there was an Asian. Female. Oh yeah, yeah, sex, every man's sexual fantasy. And I'm like, but you know, look, I'm not sexually attracted um, to Asian females, and um, I find them beautiful people. I've got a lot of friends that aren't that, but you know, I don't, you know, I wouldn't pursue like a, I don't know, I'm just sexually, I'm not there for that. And I these days with wokeism and all that, you've got to be very careful what you say. And I think that's why Close Encounters took that out or didn't even mention the Asian side of it because they could have done it in a, they could have edited it in a way where it just gets a mention that she was on the bed yeah, at the involved, time. Yeah. But may I don't know why what reason what their reasoning was. Um but yeah it disappoints me because it changes my story. Uh, that's what yeah. annoys me the most. That's right. Um so like I'm gonna ask a bit of a vivid question here. Like do you feel like there was any sort of form of penetration? In this whole experience uh as i said i don't like to talk about it that should that should that Sorry should tell you when I, when I say to you i don't i don't want to talk about it that should tell you because if it didn't happen i'd be like no nah, it didn't happen so <laughs> i'm not going to answer in the affirmative but yeah well that's what i thought it was a bit vivid like we're going to get a bit um <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 that's all right no. so like, um i've said yeah i've said yeah three or four times so you can <laughs> get what you want out of that but look i'm not trying to make light of it um there was a sexual aspect to it people can yeah. look at it any way they want but you know yeah it it, it happened yeah yeah that's all right no that's all good. it's sort of like uh it just brings it more to uh a grander perspective of like what the whole situation was and what the whole I don't know what do you want to call it, a process or the whole concept of what actually it happened. You know, the people probably go, "Oh, I could, she could have been just like sitting on top of you for, you know, whatever thing." But did anything actually? Happen? Yeah, no, there was so, definitely. You know, that's why I say there was a sexual aspect to it, but I'd rather not talk about it. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so I, like, um, oh, I, I've got another question here. I'll ask that a bit later. Um, what do you feel like when you said you, you bit 
at the the breast of them. What do you feel like you actually swallowed though? Like, uh, did, like look at the time. At the time, I thought it might have been a little bit of skin, a little bit of flesh, and I got a bad reaction from it. Um, I mean, I'm sure if you bit someone and took a little bit of their skinny swallow, you're not going to have a coughing fit. No, but. Yeah, I, at the time when I started coughing, and look, I felt something. I felt a little something go hit the back of my throat and go down. And at first it felt like it might have got lodged there, but then it just got really burny, like acid burny feeling. Um, at first I thought it might have been a little bit of flesh. But then when I looked at her and she had that sh shocked look on her face and her eyes were wide open, you know, and she's looked at the other one, this is, something's gone wrong, he's done this wrong. And I'm looking at her and I can't see a mark. I can't see blood. I can't, I couldn't even see like a red bite mark or anything. So that's where I'm thinking, was I given a tablet? Was I given some sort of something Viagra type? Because once I had, once I took the hairs off, I realized later on and like through the day, I had an erection for six days. Uh, sorry, six oh, hours. Geez. No, no, sorry, six hours. And in yeah. that six hours, I was in so much pain. I don't know. I don't know if any man has um, had an erection for six hours and thought it was funny or great, but um, it gets painful, you know. And yeah. Um, it, yeah, it took me about six hours before. And that's where now I think was I, well, Viagra wasn't in back then, you know, and I didn't know about it if it was. But um, I really don't know when they started when it came out in the mainstream and that, I'm not sure. But when I look back now, I think, did they give me a tablet? And that's why I had that reaction to the tablet. Um, I couldn't be 100%. But, um, yeah, definitely I was aroused and I was six hours of bloody, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, wasn't it <laughs> wasn't as enjoyable as I thought it might have been. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, too. Um, like, so did you happen to take notice of the time? Like, you said it was like about seven, seven in the morning. But like, throughout the whole process there, like, did you take notice of like what time it was after everything sort of finished? Or like, you know? probably fifteen minutes. About fifteen minutes. The whole process was probably, but from the time where I sat up, where I from that, from the time where I felt something jump on the bed, to the time when they just vanished it, to me it seemed like a couple of minutes but then when i was looking at the time at the when i looked at the clock i probably got back home seven you know it took me a couple of minutes to get get into bed and put the cool on me in that and then at quarter past seven yeah i reckon between 10 and 15 minutes something happened there but you know i'm only remembering i reckon two three minutes of it two minutes of it maybe yeah fair enough yeah. have you like um like obviously like, had a long time to sort of think of this and try and go through the process of all your experiences in kansas or stuff like have you determined like what kind of race these beings might have been um the closest thing that that i can compare to or say would be from from images that are out there um would be Pleiadian, Nordic or Pleiadian maybe, 
you know, I've seen images where people say they've seen them and they tell them I'm with Pleiadians from the planet and the way they, they're that similar type, you know, yeah. blonde hair, you know, milky white skin, larger eyes, very beautiful blue, blue, which I haven't seen on this planet yet. I'm trying to find that bloody blue and I still struggle. Um, the blue in her, in her eyes was just absolutely stunning. It was like this beautiful blue and then it faded out lighter and light. It just, it, the most amazing eyes I have ever seen. Um, yeah, I, the only thing, yeah, I'd say maybe Pleiadian. Um, that's the best bet I yeah. guess I'd make. Did the Asian woman have the same sort of coloured eyes as well? Like, I'm just trying to see if it's like no, the, the, the Asian woman had more. Um, I couldn't see. They were, her eyes were darker, but I, I could hardly see white in her eyes. Like there were, there was white around, like sort of in the corners, in the corners around the edges, but um, mainly black. Yeah, okay. Mainly black, like where the blonde a... had blue eyes. Yeah, fair enough. I guess it's like one of his, like as if it's a trait that's all across the Pleiadians. Like I'm not really that familiar yeah, with the, like the, 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 the Asian. Stuff. The Asian one, her skin color looked normal to me like an asian female you know like a person a little bit darker skin like a tan yep. almost dark um yeah the the asian one um i thought would look more human compared to the blonde one the blonde one you look at a you and you were looking at something that wasn't yeah, was human, sure but not human. yeah but if at a glance at the asian one if you just glanced and looked away you'd think oh yeah normal human you know Nothing stood out, but the blonde, she had the high cheekbones, she had the longer nose, but her beautiful nose, not long as in Pinocchio. It mm. just suited her length of her face. Awesome. Her, oh, yeah, well, her, her cheeks and and the, the, the chin and oh, just everything about her face was so chiseled, just perfection. I couldn't, honestly, I couldn't find a flaw. I couldn't even find a mark on her skin. I couldn't see a mark on her, her body. No freckles, no nothing, just plain milky white skin. And when I touched her, I thought I was going to, I was going to, like, it's going to be like a ghost image. You know, I'm going to, my hands are going to go right through her. But she was solid. She was right there. I, I reckon I could have put my arms around her and just squeezed her, you know, like bear hugged her. I don't know if, if she could have broken from that. But, you know, and another thing people tell me, oh, did you talk? Did you did that? They were that she was the one doing the communicating, and as once again, as I said earlier, I'm the one saying, I'm not going to remember this. What are you, why are you telling me this? You're speaking at a million miles an hour. I'm not going to understand any of this. And it was like the thing I was feeling was like, you will in when the time comes, and sort of thing. I, I don't know, but um, yeah, I, I didn't get that sense from the Asian one. I could be wrong, I could be wrong. They could both be from the same species you know and i mean look at us humans you you compare africans with indians and then you uh, american indians and the middle eastern people and asians and we look like we all come from a different planet yeah you know we all look different but and that's the same with them maybe i don't know or was that was the alien uh, the asian female was she human and was she interacting showing how to interact or watching and and then there was a connection uh, where Bill Chalker travelled to China 
and there was a female that they thought could have fitted that description and she was saying that she had an experience with someone where a guy like me, me or something it was really interesting like bill made three trips to china i think and um there was a lot of connections with the yahoo uh, the, the, oh, it was the, even the Tukla Makan mummies and stuff like that. Um, that's why I get annoyed, honestly. It's such an interesting field. Once you put your mind into this, there are so many questions. There's more questions than answers, obviously. And that's what intrigues me. That's why I get pissed off with people who spend all their life, academics, you know, they're studying all their life. You get an opportunity like this where there's certain evidence that points that you should be grabbing this topic and just researching the hell out of it to either prove it or disprove it but look at it don't just put the blinkers on and just go i'm only going to see what's in front of me i don't care about the peripheral or what's around that's it and focus have your tunnel vision you can live life like that if you want but you know if i had their qualifications and the education that they've had I'd be delving deep into this topic, deep. Like, no, there'd be nothing stopping me. Yeah, unfortunately, two people are too afraid for their careers, and that you know, the, yeah, because the, the really. stigma is still so attached to it all, and that you know, and the, the big taboo behind it. Because thanks to you know, the governments and again, the US bloody doing their bullshit. Well, look at how many pilots have lost their jobs. Yeah, exactly. look at how many pilots have lost their jobs because they were honest enough to report a UFO and they lose their job. You know, and then they're the people that we trust our lives with. You got five hundred people on a plane, and you're trusting the guy that's flying it. But as soon as that guy reports a UFO, even if he films it, people question his credibility. You know, yeah. and they, they, oh, he was drunk. He must have been drunk. He had five hundred lives in his hands, and he landed the plane perfectly, and they got home. Like, why don't you believe that a person in, with their credentials could see something and report it? You know, that's why I think this will drag on, this disclosure stuff will drag yeah. on a little bit, mate. And then as soon as it comes to a head, a bigger war will break out somewhere and all the focus will be go will go yeah, there. Yeah. And then it's exactly. put on the I've seen it happen many times. Over thirty one years I've seen it happen so many times. Look, we're getting off topic a bit, but Hillary <laughs> Hillary Clinton, the Clintons actually wanted to um release ufo de declassified ufo documents i know that for a fact and i know uh john podesta i think he ran her campaign saying that she will release ufo information now yeah. i know for a fact that they were going to do that because when john mack was here in 1997 i believe it was he said to me he said peter in two weeks time when I go back to the States in two weeks' time, I'm meeting with the Clintons. People may not like this, but because Rockefeller funded John, um, he they had that connection with the Clintons, right? So he said to me, he's going to sit down and talk to them. And he said, and the first thing I want to bring up is your case. He said, I want, they'll be aware of your case. And we're going to, they're going to really get into this. We're going to have a massive discussion about this. They're going to start releasing documents. Two weeks went by, John went was in America, the Monica Lewinsky shit hit the fan. Mm. The you know, allegations and the denials that I never slept with that woman. 
I never had sexual fear, whatever, with that woman. Um, that all happened, and it just threw the UFO stuff into the, you know, threw it out with the bath, baby in the bathwater, yep. basically. It was just crap. But I see that happen all the time. Every time we come to to something where it's becoming interesting, something else happens, and we just lose all control. So yeah. I'm not I'm not holding my breath, but I'm hopeful. Yeah. No, he's hoping that will. Um, Hope like so. Saying, like, you know, oh, like we had COVID, like when um, the, the US actually uh, admitted to UFOs flying around, it was like in the middle of COVID. Mm -hmm. And no one gave a crap about what the government was saying. There. Everyone was too focused on trying to survive. That's right. That's right. And now we're getting this and we have what's going on in the Ukraine and good luck yeah. in Russia and it's going to escalate. We all know that. There's no end to that one. And people have all those concerns to worry about. They're not going to worry about UFOs when, you know, they think there could be a bloody world war. So that that's a that's a shit thing that we have to deal with most times and it keeps repeating itself. It's just a pattern and it's annoying. It's I hate it. It is. It is shit. It's shit house. Um but here's hoping we get um so another question I have for you too is um pretty much regarding like everything that's sort of happened throughout your whole life and experience here. Like um like you, you know you your friends were all frozen or you know inanimate on the top of the roof there you had um some sort of immunity there during your um, personal encounter with the uh we'll say we'll call them palladians um and you had a few other things there like where you've broken through some sort of boundary there where you were not supposed to be conscious or involved or have some sort of concept of what's going on in your surroundings there so it makes me feel like um have you do you feel like you had some sort of history like the history in your family your whatever's going on in your life has some sort of given you some immunity to the effects of what they can sort of do to um you know i i there, but yeah have you got some sort of immunity do you feel in there look in their I, believe, I, I honestly believe there are millions of people in the world that are having these experiences that don't even know it or they just put it down to a dream but yeah, yeah. i um There's, 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 when I talk to people and they seem to be switched off and they're taken, they have no memory in that and they just have a little snippet in there. And for me, I just seem to recall the whole experience consciously to a point. And then, like, for example, in 88, I had that thing inserted in my head. Bang, I black out. Um, but that's a physical thing that they did to me to do that. But... In, when I was in Lebanon and it was hot, the object was hovering above us, it obviously affected my friends, but I wasn't affected. Yeah. So there must be something at play. Um, maybe I'm too stubborn. I don't know. Maybe they just can't get through to me. <laughs> maybe, you know, they can't brain put me. Like, as my brother said, he felt he had been sweet. Mate, my brother said this in Arabic. And it was when I walked out of my room and tried to wake up my dad. This is in 1988, and it happened at my parents with the tall guys and the little hooded guys. Um, I was in, in bed trying to call out to my dad and, and my brother, and I couldn't. I could think about what I wanted to say, but the voice would just never come out. And I was frustrated. And um, when, when I sprung out of bed and I went into the TV room, I started to wake up my dad and I couldn't. So I started slapping him a couple of times and I couldn't wake him. And then I went to my brother and I tried him as well. I slapped him a couple of times and then he woke up. And first thing he said, and he said it in Arabic, um, 
he said, I feel like I've been switched off. And I was like, you know, didn't register me with me then, but later on, years down the track, everybody I spoke to would say, my family members were switched off. I, they were sitting next to me, laying next to me, but I couldn't get their attention. And and there was a lot of frustration with people, you know, like couples. Can you imagine you're lying in bed with your partner and your mm. partner's having some sort of experience and they're trying to nudge you or touch you or get your attention so you can see, and you don't. And then in the morning they tell you, or that night they wake you up and say, oh, I just had this experience. And you turn around and go, no, you were right next to me. You didn't go, you were sleeping, you had dreaming. Yeah. I can understand that. You know, it's, but um, some people, yeah, it seems to affect some people where they have no memory of it. And then it, some people have full conscious recall. And I'm one of the lucky ones that I have that full conscious recall. But what I would give to be able to have a conscious recall, I've been on the ship, like the Travis Walton example, he was on there and he remembers interacting and, you know, carrying that rod where he swung at them as a weapon or whatever. Um, he has that memory and he was able to to move and to do things and to walk through the UFO and that. Um, and that's where I think when you when when it's your physical body and your astral body back together, they lose a bit of they lose control. That's but when they're interacting with you on an astral level, yeah, you're gonna not remember it or it's gonna be as a dream. Um that astral thing is another topic altogether because I've had a couple yeah. of it's, yeah I've had a couple of experiences where I've astral travelled and it's been amazing but I can't do it at will it's just happened to me about three times um, yeah totally blows your mind but it's real and um, it's it happens astrally you know it's not your physical body doing it so when you go on that plane you don't get hurt you could go. You could get shot, you could, you know, get hit by a truck, a train. You don't physically, you don't get killed or anything because you're not there. It's it's your, you know, ethereal thing. It's your astral. It's not physical. So nothing's going to harm you. And yeah. um, I, I've, it's happened to me three, maybe four times, but I'm sure three. And I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And it's an uplifting experience, if anything. It's a bit more, it's a bit euphoric, you know, like, um, yeah, it I picks you be. up. Yeah, it does. It picks you up. And I, I think your mind realises too and it, pick, it opens up things there. It's not just like physical, it's mental, it's it's everything. It's, it's an incredible experience and, you know, people don't give that a lot of thought either, you know. Um, so it, it's, all, it's all part and parcel of this whole abduction experience and um, I just find the more the longer i'm involved in the, in this uh field the more answers i have uh, the more questions i have than my answers my answers <laughs> my answers are very honestly like questions i've had and the answers i've got um have been far and few like more more questions than ever before um yeah the longer i get involved in this the more questions i have and hopefully one day they'll be answered you know and We'll all understand what's going on. And look, I've had people walk up to me. I actually had, I was working in Liverpool doing an event and I went to buy some lunch and these two guys were sitting at the cafeteria. And I don't know them, never met them. It's a public shopping centre, mind you. It's not like a workplace for me. I was doing an event there. And um, 
I'm at, I'm putting my order up, and then this guy walks up to me. And he goes, "Is your name Peter?" I said, "Yeah." He goes, "Man, I'm going to tell you something." He goes, "I'm um, a Muslim. I'm Shiite, and my friend is a Sunni Muslim." He goes, "I have watched your UFO stuff. I believe it." He goes, "He doesn't because he's an idiot." <laughs> he goes, "They believe in the Jin, J I N, but they don't believe in this." He goes, "You know, but I'll show him." He goes, "I sat him down." showed him your video at my house, he still doesn't believe. And now he can see you're a real person. You're not you know, someone making bullshit up. And he goes, can I tell you something, my friend? I go, yeah. He goes, you are a modern day, what they used to in the old days, biblical times, call a prophet. He goes, a prophet is someone who's had an, a contact with other uh, worldly beings. And he goes, and you have. And he goes, in the old times, they call you a prophet. He goes, now you're called an abductee. And it resonated with me, you know. I thought, wow, here's this Muslim guy believing my story and trying to convince another Muslim guy to believe it as well. You know, I'm not saying that they're close-minded and they don't believe, but, yeah, I, I, I was, like, pretty impressed that the guy, you know, was trying to open up someone's mind, at least to the topic. Like, you don't have to believe it, but at least look at it and, ask the questions you know absolutely but the problem is though, like more questions you ask and the answers you get leads to more questions <laughs> more questions that i keep saying to you yeah it's more more and more questions honestly i'm yeah i've i've got a million more questions than i did when i first started and um i thought i had a lot of questions then geez uh, <laughs> but look as far as as far as people out there in a way, not not that I wish it bad. I'm not saying this in a negative way at all, but I would love not to be in my shoes or walk in my shoes, but I would love everybody out there to have this experience, this contact. Let's call it contact. Yeah. Because honestly, it changed my life for the better. And I hope, I hope that people are strong enough that it would change theirs for the better. Um, I think once we realize we're not the most special thing in the universe and that there is life out there and some of it is much, much more advanced and more intelligent than we are, maybe we might become better humans. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You know? Here's hoping. Um, that's what I sort of feel like, too. Like, if they got involved early in, in their ages, say, like, say like uh, medieval or before with the world wars and that, like, we could have been a much more civilized planet. Um, why the escalate, like, leave us to go on? I know there's a, the godly thing is like, you know, you let them go and do their own thing, don't get involved and blah, blah, blah. But I feel like it, for our own sake, it could have been a much better outcome. If, Look, if it's not as bad as it sounds, like what they think they are. I mean, let's ask this question. What's the worst that could happen if they told us the truth? What's the worst that could happen? Okay, they reckon society break down, religion break down. And now, 30 years ago, the religious people used to say, no, nah, aliens don't exist. No, nah, we're the only things God mm. created. Now, now, they say God created all things, and if he wills it, they will one day meet. So the thinking's changed. And I reckon if we have this experience, it'll change us. It'll change our whole mindset, our whole thinking. And um, honestly, why won't they? Can you imagine what world we'd be living in, Anthony, now if we were told the truth 50 years ago? Yeah. Oh, mate. We would have adapted on the spot. Nearly. Well, it would have been a bit of chaos at the start there, but we would have adapted. Yeah. And yeah. You know, that, like um... I'm saying now with religious people too. Um, it's it's became it, it was they don't exist they don't exist i'm sorry we're the only creatures that you know beings that god made to now um they're demonic oh yeah okay aliens are demonic and oh if aliens come it's project uh, blue blue beam it's it's all mm. bullshit it's the government you're never going to satisfy the non-believers no never you, you bring a ufo you bring an alien you stand it right in front in front of them and i'll say oh it's fake someone made it it's a toy or whatever if they're not going to believe, they're not going to believe. And I think religious people should accept that because God, I don't think God is limited. God is so powerful. He's not limited to, you know, being boxed into one thing, create one type of being, and that's it. And the whole universe has one creature in it, one being. I think God is a creator and he would have created beings all around the, the universe you know yeah. in, in in his form and maybe in diff, some other form but yeah i i just think we're ready for all this and it disappoints me that you know we have to have american senate inquiries or whatever all these witnesses coming forward and stuff and you know i've uh, you know i feel sorry for david crush too because the people who gave him all that information, why aren't they coming forward? You know? Yeah. Why aren't they coming forward? They're the ones that saw it and touched it and investigated it and experimented yeah. on it, you know? And, you know, in that panel we had um, up in Cardwell, you asked the question and I didn't want to upset people there and it was about Bob Lazar. Why hasn't Bob Lazar come forward? Um, I thought I had to be very careful what, what I said there because I know a lot of people are big on that. Um, Bob Lazar's case had a good impact on me, a positive impact. And but what people don't understand is 
the government turned on him they tried to make him a no person yeah um his credentials were questioned but then every now and then when they go to dismantle his credentials there was some sort of link there that substantiated that it, he was involved in those things you know it wasn't a hundred percent solid but there's always something and to me i think it was the government trying to take that away from him his credentials where he went to school where he worked what he did um and when you, when the question was asked why hasn't he come forward when david crash has and you know why this is opportunity for the bob lazar um i think because of all that that they've the microscope that he lived under and the scrutiny and you know what he's had to deal with i think he's like jaded so bad that i was surprised he did the interview with joe rogan i thought yeah yeah i thought he'd be way you know like no i don't want to do this anymore but um i tried to bring him out i think it was about when would it be um 1998 99 99 i think it was and um it was such a costly project like we, we were a non-profit organization you know we'd hold mm. meetings and whatever money we got we'd use that to fund the thing and i'd put some money into it when i could but um we were looking at something like 12 grand just to bring him out here and then accommodation and you know allow food allowance and then you know take him around and show him the sights of sydney because i'm like that i don't just let him sit in the hotel um yeah i was disappointed about that but i can understand why he wouldn't go public now I mean, come forward and give evidence that that you know they they have thrown a lot of question marks about his credibility and stuff like that so yeah. why would you why would you do it you know he's not getting anything out of it he's just be but um it'd be great to see the people who gave david crash the information to come forward and i yeah. read somewhere that there were some who were going to but changed their mind that's annoying that's it is that's a cop out yeah, I remember the question like we were talking, discussing the bubbles are there, and um, how I sort of found him more credible because he hasn't really tried to monetize it. Yeah, um, off the whole thing there, and like you, I remember you mentioning the um, the manager there asking for like twelve grand to come over, and I can't remember who I was discussing it with, but I said, "Who's to say like bubbles are was asking for the twelve grand? It could be the manager." No, no, greedy. it wasn't. It was his agent. It was his agent. It so was the agent. Sorry, the agent. So that's what I'm trying to think. Look, agent yeah, the right agent now. asked for um, two thousand two thousand dollar fee for him and ten thousand to bring um, um, Bob Lazar out. And yeah, you know what? Who's Look, to say the agent bring... wasn't trying to make money off it, like make money out of it? Yeah, a hundred percent. I spoke yeah. to Travis. Travis and I spent some time together here with his ex partner um, Dana, and I spoke to him about bringing him out in nineteen ninety seven, and. Um, it was we had to work around his work schedule because he had been taking a lot of time off for conferences and traveling around the world and he, he said look i'll fit it in, i'll get we'll do it but let's fit it in for my work schedule because i'm starting to push the wrong buttons there you know the people are starting to get annoyed is but um that didn't eventuate uh, and it, it was probably going to cost cost about 10 grand uh by the time you fly him out accommodation um i understand yeah like if they yeah I got flown to to Japan in 1996, and um, it would have cost them with accommodation, airfares. Um, I had a chauffeur-driven limousine and stuff like that. It, it, it would have probably cost them that. But I was looking at it back then from a point of view of a non-profit organisation who really wasn't make doing it to make money. Like yeah. whatever money we made went to help people 
do their counseling, do their hypnotherapy if they chose to. I always advise people, always said to them, use hypnotherapy as a tool, but never as a source of answers. So whatever comes through hypnotherapy, take it on board, but don't take it as solid evidence. I've always believed that. And um, I've seen nothing to suggest that it shouldn't be that. I've never seen any. Like the guy that failed the lie detector test, he had been under hypnotherapy sessions, multiple hypnotherapy sessions, and he remembered so many things. But when the lie detector, well, the polygraphs, I hate using the word lie detector, polygraph um, test was done and he failed it, I felt so sorry for the guy um, because maybe he failed on the memories he got through the hypnotherapy yeah. session but not the actual original experience that he had himself. I think he had an experience, but it was blemished a lot under hypnotherapy. And yeah. um, I, I've spoken to a couple of um, hypnotherapists there, and like this, the biggest thing is like some people will guide them through the, the experience they're leading, like giving some questions. Some people will lead to, them, to, yeah. To lead them to something that's yes. could be alien, you know? Whereas yeah. um, there's all like the methods they should be using is like, well, what happened next, you know? Yes. What yes. You see, like, and, and saying, like, oh, what's the being you're seeing, you know? What's, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. We had, four, we had four hypnotherapists involved in our group when it first started. And one of them, I mean, there was no way I was going to use it, was a female. There was no way we were going to use because we actually sat in on one session and the most leading questions you can imagine and cracking up, laughing through it. Like this is the, the hypnotherapist laughing because all the leading questions she was asking were building on what she wanted to say and, and, and do, a, you know, comment about it. And um, it was questions like, okay, how many aliens did you see? And the guy was like, oh, five. Five. Oh, was there how many f female, how many male? And um, it just like leading leading and it, it'd get worse and worse and then it got to the point where it was all about her belief systems and trying to verify that through hypnotherapy so i thought no nah, this is not good so yeah use hypnotherapy as a tool but don't use it as a source of answers don't think whatever you remember under hypnotherapy is a hundred percent yeah it's not that's fair enough um so I'll, i do have one quick question there to just quickly go back to um your experience there in lebanon um with the ufo dropping down um any idea what that could have been like what the what was behind the time it needed to drop down for whatever reasons the feeling i what i think about it i think because they had control of all the kids there not me i don't know if they thought because i know it was through telepathy and maybe they thought if they got closer they could make that closer contact or something that's the only thing i can think of yeah um, just to get closer to us but it did drop twice and it would have dropped i'd say between you know five and ten meters and um at first it was about 20 meters above us and then the closest it got to us would have been between 10 to yeah i'd say just over 10 meters and um yeah, I could have grabbed the rock off the roof and thrown it. I reckon I would have hit it, uh, but I couldn't have reached out and touched it. No way. Yeah, but, yeah, no, but I, I think they got closer to us to maybe get control of me. 
Yeah. Or maybe That's maybe true. they wanted me, maybe they wanted me not to be under that, you know, um, paralysis thing where they're like statues. Maybe they wanted me active so they can do so I'm, I, I don't know if I if I remembered where I what happened between the time we're on the roof and the time we're down on the steps sitting there if I could fit that gap in because our parents said they were looking for us there was like a two and a half hour three hour missing time yeah and we weren't around so the parents are calling out now were my friends up on the roof still frozen for that time and was I taken I'm not sure I'm not sure. I wish I could somehow remember, but the last thing I'm going to do is go under hypnotherapy to remember that. Because to me, if the memory's coming, if it's there, if it's in it, it'll come to me. Yeah, and maybe I'm also sort of curious. To, maybe too. I can't understand what happened to me back then. Maybe I just can't understand it. I can't, you know, it, yeah. process it, and I can't. Yeah, and I can't understand it. So I can't. I don't deal with it. Yeah, because I was sort of curious on that too. Like you, like you said, there was like about two, three hours missing time there and it's like surely someone would have gone on the roof in that pro in that in no that i don't there. think i don't think the parents would have gone on the roof simply because there was that like there was the whole neighborhood and all the roofs were flat now if we we could have been playing at anybody's house they wouldn't necessarily thought oh they're playing at this guy this family's house let's go up on their roof they wouldn't have even thought they would have thought we're in the paddock because we used to have open fields and there'd be um uh, a lot of fig trees our whole town was known for olives and fig yep. trees and um we'd, we'd go in a paddock and our parents wouldn't see us for hours and we'd be sitting in a tree and eating figs or picking um uh, chestnuts off a tree or um almonds off a tree you know and we'd just break them and eat them and we'd spend time we you know there was another time that i didn't even bring up before but um as kids, we went and grabbed food from home. Everybody grabbed, you know, a bit of bread, a bit of this cheese, a bit of whatever, tomato, cucumber, whatever. And then we went out in the paddock, which is behind our houses, and we put two sticks in the ground, tied a rope to it, and threw a, a, a sheet, a bed sheet over it, made it like a tent. And um, while we were sitting there, it was daytime. It was like, you know, two, three o'clock. And we're sitting there playing within no time. This whole tent lit up and my i don't remember anything except us running through the field and the last person screaming to wait for them because they thought something was going to grab them and then we've run home but as we're running home it was darker it wasn't it wasn't two three o'clock it was more like maybe five six seven o'clock um yeah, we, everybody ran to their own home. We just ran home. We didn't even talk about it. But the whole area where we were just lit up like the SCG or, you know, Melbourne Cricket Ground, just that powerful light just lit up the whole thing. And um, we left all the food in that there. We didn't go back. Then the next day, like we took a couple of our brothers with us, older ones, teenagers, and they came back with us and um, helped us pack things up. We just put everything in the in the sheet, rolled it over, tied it and just carried it back and someone carried the two sticks um yeah so we were thinking we were hoping that we'd stay there and camp overnight we were little kids you know we thought we were scouts and in lebanon scouts are big like really big they have major major meetings and they have big bonfires and uh, so yeah the scout movement in lebanon is very very big and uh they get trained almost military style training you know um it's not 
just the badges and stuff like that they actually do things um so yeah we will we live in that trying to you know mimic that and try and copy our cousins who were in the scouts and you know they had the gear and the clothes and the badges and yeah um we were just having a bit of fun and then it turned where we got so scared that we didn't want to go back there um look i honestly i that's why I'm, i want to write the book because there's just so many experiences um that's why i want to get them all in there and have them all in the one place and that way it's a historical record that you know my children my grandchildren hopefully will look at and maybe by then it'll be all out in the open and everybody accepts it and they look at it in a different light you know yeah mate it's, it's fascinating and i hope it um it's gonna work out well for you too and hopefully not still too many of your stories there to go into your book either <laughs> no nah, it's all right mate it's not a problem <laughs> um, there's gonna be uh, a few photos in there no one's seen and um that's cool that'll be interesting so yeah that's awesome. So I have a question here from Colleen. Um, she's saying, hi, Peter. Fascinating, uh, fascinating listening. I wonder why it was eight years between encounters or is it possible you've had more but don't remember? So um, thanks for sharing your story. Actually, it wasn't eight years. Um, when the sign, when the biochemist and that started looking into my case, they worked it out at about every four years. It seems like every four-year period, like if you think about it, 1998, uh, sorry 1988 um at my parents house that experience then 1992 uh, 1996 um 2008 also um then 2017 with the the bird thing and then 2022 with the scratches um yeah they they suggested that there was a four-year thing but i i don't see that pattern all along I, there's times where it's not four years but there's been a couple that have been you know four years apart probably th two or three yeah. um yeah 92 uh, sorry 90 1988 92 96 definitely four years apart yeah yeah this yeah. is um this is a question that sort of asked really early on into the show um you know like so probably would have just put the connection like it might have been an eight-year period between till we got further yeah. along so but uh, that's all good uh, so I've got Joanna also asking here, did uh did John Mack put you under hypnosis and what did he say about your experiences there? So what was the results out of okay. hypnosis? As I said before, when I met Professor Mack, and honestly, I wish I could could have given you some photos to put up. It would have been really interesting. I I first met Professor Mack at the Transpersonal Association meeting. It was done in a church in the city. And that church was going to be demolished apparently and developers were going to and i hope they haven't because it was a beautiful historic church but um i met him there and then the next day um i picked him up and we went down to bankstown into pacific international hotel and uh we've got a picture of myself john mack uh, bill chalker on one side of me and then dominique who was john's uh partner at the time and uh, i remember john i remember john saying to me there in the foyer it's a, it's a, it was a nice hotel, you know, it had a really nice uh, rainforest uh, foyer. Anyway, John uh, said to me, Peter, how much did this cost you? And I was like, it's not the cost, John, it's the impact this will have on the people that you're going to meet, you know. And he was like, look, I'm used to in America going down laneways and 
little alleyways and, you know, into someone's basement because it's all so underground and hidden. And he goes, and here you are at a, you know, five-star hotel and you're putting on a, a, a thing about UFOs and they all the stuff. No, because I haven't done this in America. I was like, oh, okay. And um, so he, we did the workshop. He found his family interesting. He spoke to them, spent a bit of time with them. And then we came back to my place after the workshop. Um, they stayed here most, and I think I dropped them off at the hotel about three in the morning. And um, any time they came out, John, John and Dominique came out. Um, they'd come out like two weeks here, Arnhem Land, a couple of weeks, whatever. But when they're in Sydney, it was the whole time was with us. Uh, my son Stephen would have been about um, two. He was in a pram actually. I've got a picture of us at the Opera House. And there's John, myself, Stephen in a pram, and Dominique and uh, Viv. And Dominique's playing with the yo-yo. She was making Stephen laugh because the way she was playing with the yo-yo. And we took a picture of it. So we've got some great memories. The last photo I've got of John Mack is at the airport, uh, seeing him off. Um, that was the last time I saw him alive. But, um, yeah, he put me under hypnosis. He had a psychiatrist, a female psychiatrist, um, that sat in on the session. And what John... When he when he did it, he's in John's um, regression sessions are into breathing. It's all that deep breathing, and he breathes for about twenty minutes. It's tiring, but it clears your mind, you know. And um, anyway, eventually he put me under. And um, when he was when I was describing the little hooded creatures, one at the foot of the bed and the two on the right side of the bed, and describing what they looked like and how horrific they, you know, how demonic they looked how evil they looked and how scared i was and i was when i was describing this i was sweating uh my heart rate was up you know he could see i was stressed and then as soon as i turned i and i with the corner not that i could move but my eyes i had them open and you know what if i had my eyes closed that night i would have thought i was dreaming but i just got to bed i turned my tv on crossed my legs and i put my hands behind my head and i went to lie on the bed and as my hands hit the pillow, I felt something grab me around my ankles. And then I had pins and needles crawling up through my body, from my legs, all up from my body, top of my head. And I said, at the time, I described it like thousands of ants crawling through my scalp. Um, but now I describe it as static electricity because I understand that now. Um, but I was petrified one minute looking at these evil looking creatures. And then as soon as I made eye contact with the goldish color blonde uh, tall one with the big black eyes i um i felt completely calm and it was within seconds like a couple of seconds i was petrified and i wanted to get up and fight and kick and punch and then all of a sudden i'm totally calm and what happened in the aggression with john the exact same thing when i was describing the little hooded creatures i was petrified and you could see i was sweaty in my heart rate and then as soon as I my eyes make contact and I'm talk telling him I saw that like I'm reporting what I'm seeing, my heart rate, the sweating went, everything. And then later after the show, after the sorry, the uh, regression, he was talking with the female psychiatrist, and she said to him, "I've never ever ever in all the time I've been a clinical psycho psychiatrist, I've never ever seen anybody." their body act like that she said he was petrified one minute he was sweating and then in a second or two that whole change he became completely calm and 
that impressed him, I think, to see that a reaction like that under hypnotherapy. Um, but I only did one session with John, and we just, I don't know, we just hit it off, and um, he just supported my case. Actually, Bill Chalker gave him a copy of his uh, manuscript for Hair of the Alien, and um, unfortunately, John was killed in 2004, and the book was printed in 2005. Um, I asked John if he'd write the foreword to that book, and he would have. Uh, it didn't eventuate, but um, yeah, um, that was a sad, sad thing that happened. So it crushed me. So losing John, but yeah, um, he was a good person to work with. Uh, very professional, uh, very empath empathetic. He was. He had empathy to people. He had feelings. Um, he really. What resonated with me the most was that he had compassion and understanding and didn't judge people, um, although some of them were obnoxious at times, um, trying to milk everything they could out of him. And I hated that because I never did. And you know what, what impressed him with me too? We had the workshop. I, I ran the workshop, introduced everyone and everything and ran it, but never discussed my case. And then when we were coming to my house in the car, he said, Peter, why didn't you talk about your case? And I said, this is for everyone else. And John, like, I'm coordinating. This is to help them, not me. And uh, so we, we sat down and talked about it here and, you know, he heard basically most of it. And uh, we just we just clicked, mate, because I I wasn't trying to take anything off him or get him to, to push my case or, you know, I just treated him as a friend. And uh, I think he appreciated that where... A lot of people he gets in touch, you know, he's in contact with, they're always trying to gain something out of meeting him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fair enough too. Yeah, it's a shame. Um, it's always the, the, the good ones that go, isn't it? That goes early. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And unfortunately, like, we lost Bud Hopkins as well and Australia, yeah. we lost Rex Gilroy. And there's been a few, um, sadly. But... um. Even now, Bud Hopkins' uh, partner or ex-partner, sorry, um, uh, Carol Rainey, she's um, in hospital and she's not doing too well. So our prayers go out to her. She's in hospital at the moment. They've moved her in there. So it's gradually going downhill. But, yeah, we seem to be losing a lot of people um, who are good people. Mm. You know? I suppose we are sort of getting a bit of that time, aren't we? Like, you know, there's, what, 40, 50 years of, yeah, yeah, I understand. The, the high that. notes of and spend that time, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so, got another one here from Jane. Uh, we sort of did discuss this a little bit earlier. Um, so she's asked, uh, "Do you feel you might be under a contract?" Um, she's saying, "I can." Anthony can explain that. Um, if you if you so do, you want to break the contract if you want to, or if you don't want them to visit anymore. Um, so basically, the, I don't. Yeah. I don't believe I'm under contract. I don't believe. In past life, I've given someone permission to do this. I've, that's my belief. But no, nah, I don't want it to stop. I, as I said before, uh, the most profound thing we can experience is a mysterious, and I'm up all up for it. I, you know, I. It's not like I'm a glutton for punishment or anything. It's an experience that not too many people have, and I feel I'm not going to say privileged. Um, a lot of people use the word chosen, but 
I don't know. I just, I can live with it. I can live with it. I can have the experience tomorrow and I'll live with it. I cannot have it and I can live with it. I'm, it doesn't, it doesn't rule, rule my life. It doesn't run my life. It doesn't take over my life. You know, it's a part of my life, obviously. But it's, look, if you walk out of my office in my house, you would not think I believe in UFOs. There's nothing in there in my house to suggest anyone walk in will go, oh, look, he believes in UFOs and that. My office door's closed. No one sees this unless I invite him in here. So it's not like it's taken over my life and um, I don't do anything except this UFO stuff and that, you know. I work in the building game. Um, I work in security. I've been doing security for 18 years. Um, you know, I, I, I have a life and I don't let this be everything in my life. I mean, it's big. Don't get me wrong. Mm. Um, but it doesn't run my life. You know, it doesn't rule my life. Yeah. Well, it certainly comes across like you don't come across as entitled to the whole thing either. Like, you know, that's the biggest thing yeah. is that sort of I read from you anyway. Like, you don't feel like you, you, you don't really own it. You know, you, like, you experience it, but you, you, yeah, like I said, you know, you're trying to, not trying to gain anything out of, out of it personally. No, I'm not interested in that, mate. Like, yeah. Honestly, I think there's a lot more important things than money sometimes, most times, actually. And, yeah, money does help, you know, when you don't have to worry about your bills and that. But I was never – look, when I started the support group, it was about helping people. Mm. I was never in this for money. I never even thought you could make money out of this. I, I don't know. I, I don't know, Anthony. Do you know any people who were millionaires because they they're into the UFO field? Because I don't. I know one. I don't know if they're a millionaire, but <laughs> Stephen Greer, maybe. If you had points yeah, ahead. well, yeah, then you've got, you know, you've got a couple of rich people that came into it later, but I don't know any people who've had this the experience. And look at Travis. He's got a case that is so famous, you know. They made a movie yeah. about it and all that. Travis is no millionaire. No, he's still working. He's, he's still, still working. Everyday life. Yeah. He got paid $100,000. This is, I know this for a fact. He got paid $100,000 by Paramount when they did the film and he got upset, obviously, because they changed a lot of things in that. But that $100,000 did not make him rich. Um, it might have helped with some bills in that, but I don't know anyone in the field. Honestly, look, Bill Chalk has been doing this for a long time, years, and he writes for articles and he, you know, he's written books and um, he struggles, you know. I, I don't, know, I don't know any too many people in this field. I don't know any myself personally that are millionaires or loaded and because of the yeah. UFO story. At least through their day about. jobs anyway. Yeah, maybe through their day jobs, you know, but um, through the UFO thing, no. you well, don't. No, do I mean, like they haven't quit their day jobs to go and, you know, pursue the UFO. No, no, it's, yeah, that's right. They're still working, you know. But, I mean, Bill Chalker was a scientist and um, – he retired for 10 years and he was doing, re, you know, doing the, the UFO stuff and that, but he couldn't survive. He had to do security. So I, I got him work with me. He worked with, we worked together in security. Um, yeah, you know, if anybody in this country should be rich from it, it's probably him because he's written so many articles and uh, investigated so many cases and that. But it doesn't, you know, being involved in this doesn't bring you money. It doesn't necessarily, no. when people say, oh, you know, they're in it to make money, you just got to laugh because they don't know what they're talking yeah. about. 
nah, too. Like, I, and I'll claim that myself too. I, I've got no interest in trying to make money out of this at all. Um, I don't ask people for money. The only thing I get out of this is the ad revenue from Spotify. <laughs> that's it. But I bet and you, I bet you through. I've got no interest you know, in it. Yeah, I bet you, any, like, you might get, hopefully, you get sponsors for the podcast. There. But before that, you, if you're interested in the field and that, you weren't making money out of it. No. You know, it's not it's not a thing where people can make it a profession. And okay, even my story, it's a good story. It's well documented. I don't make money out of it. No. Let let anybody come forward. Any any documentaries I've done, let them come forward and say we paid Peter Curry ten grand or twenty grand to do the story. He it was a paid story. And there's no chance you'll get that. Yeah. So, you know, they get it all. Like now I'm upset with YouTube because you showed a little bit of footage there early on and they cut it off because, well, they've sanctioned you now for a week because you're showing my story that I didn't get paid for, that the company got paid. They made money selling it. Yeah. And they should be happy because they made money. But we're not making money out of this. You're showing it no. tonight. What, what are you making? You know, like why would they... Sanction that? Why would they bloody stop that? And yeah, stupid copyright you know, issues. You know, that's that's all. It is. Copyright issues. It was a ten-minute segment. It was about me. You didn't use any other people in the show. There were other cases. There it was six episodes. You only used the ten-minute segment. You know, yeah, not no, even. <laughs> and it's about me. Like it's when you're not trying to push someone else's thing and use that to make money. You've got a guest on the show and you're showing something. That should be taken into account. Like it's just, it's just ridiculous. It's it is. It's it's stupid and petty. And like, like yeah. I said, like I'm not here to make money out of this thing. I've got no interest in it. I've I've had um sponsor, um you know people come forward with me to be a sponsor for the show and that sort of stuff. Um, I turned them down. I said no. Look at that. I've got no interest. Um, and like my biggest thing here is like I want people's experiences there to be held accountable. You know, I want their experiences to be credible, accounted. You know. Everything that's happening in the world here was for them to sort of like to get make the rest of the world understand that things are out there and you know strange encounters of whatever the hell's out there. I don't want people to understand that there is a reality out there of strange things happening, and that's why I do this. That's my passion behind it. Look, I said this earlier, and I'll say it again: if out of all the millions, hundreds of thousands, or millions of reports around the world of sightings and abductions, if there's one percent of that number that's legit yeah. and it seems to be with you know the evidence we're looking at now the with the military stuff and that there's physical there radar trace case everything um we definitely definitely have an interesting topic to study and yeah, let's not absolutely. be scared of it let's let's get in there and do it let's i'm happy to pig, pig you know guinea pig my case myself put myself out there let them dissect my case let them dissect my and whatever they want, I'll, I'm happy to put it out there and let them do it. Let them analyze it, test it, check it, you know, question it. That's what I want. But, you know, people aren't interested in doing that. They just yeah. shoot from the hip, make a comment, move on. That's it, you know. Yeah. They don't want to game. invest the time. Yeah, people don't want to invest the time. That's it. So um, I do have another question here too from Colin, and I'm guessing it's going to be someone you didn't really want to make mention of uh, when it comes to the hypnosis side of things. Um, asking the question, have you thought about seeing or have you seen Mary Rodwell? Mary Rodwell? Yeah. Mary and I have a history. We've known each other for a long time. Um, I respect Mary's work. 
um, you know, providing assistance for people and hypnotherapy and that. As I've said before, I'm not big on hypnotherapy. But um, does your does that question, the person who asked the question, do they want me to be frankly honest or do they want me to be politically correct? <laughs> With me, mate, I'm going to be, I'm gonna be frankly correct. honest. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to be frankly honest. Mary, I have a respect for Mary, but I don't agree with a lot of her research and um, comments that she makes about uh, like star children, uh, their DNA being manipulated or they're finding DNA in blood light, something, stuff like that. Where's the evidence? Where's the backing? Where's the cases you're working on? Where's. And when, when, Mary, when Mary did the show, uh, My Mum Talks to Aliens, um, not that she does. She that was supposed to be a running title, and that Mary was really pissed off and upset that they ended up using it as the title to go uh, to air because they always told her she didn't like that title because Mary's never seen an alien, never spoken to one. So when they the title said "My Mum Talks to Aliens," she took offence to that, and I commend her for that because she stood her ground. But they they sucked her in basically and went and um and went and used um they use that same title but anyway um my issue with mary was that um when they were doing this film the the, the show my mum talks to aliens my case was not mentioned um she debated she did the debate in uh, canberra with uh, one of the lecturers there and it was i know it was you know the whole room was packed with his students and he gave her a hard time um her presentation wasn't her argument in the debate wasn't the best and um never mentioned my case talked about things dna whatever but never said to him okay there's a case with peter curry this is the evidence how do you, de you discredit that try and you know nothing now as the show went on the producers were calling me and asking me to get involved and i kept saying no i don't want to be involved um I had my reasons, and then anyway, about three months down the track, one of the the you know main producers called me and he said, "Peter, if you really believe in this topic and you want to give it credibility, we think you should get involved because everything Mary is putting forward as evidence, it's crumbling." And she was putting the evidence to her son Chris. She had to impress her son Chris, and um, Chris wasn't being impressed. So then they eventually I agreed to do the, the show, right? And they had me on an interview with Kerry Ann Kennelly and uh, booked booked for one. Oh, sorry, I didn't do it, but I was booked for it. And then they also did a, uh, there was a magazine. Oh, I'm trying to remember the magazine, which it's not, not I've lost it. Um, but anyway, they did a, they did a three hour interview with me over the phone and they were going to run the article in the magazine. And then I was going to do uh, Kerry Ann Kennelly in the morning. A good morning australia or whatever the show was and i got a call from uh the publicist i was at work and she said oh look um uh we're gonna tell them that uh, you're one of mary's clients and and i went whoa 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 hold on right there i'm not actually one of mary's clients i'm a i'm a colleague mary and i are colleagues we're both investigators we're both researchers i run a support group she does therapy I'm not her client. Oh, okay, mate. Like within the next half hour, the Kerry Ann Kennelly thing got cancelled. The um, magazine article didn't get run. 
and I wasted three hours of my time. No one paid me for that to do that interview. And um, it was because I stated fact and I said, I am not, I'm never ever been a client of Mary. Mary has never investigated my case. And um, that, that annoyed me a little bit. And then another issue I had was when Mary wrote her first book, she claimed in there that she started, uh, founded the first support group in Australia in 2003, whereas a, the, a matter of fact, and she had spoken at our group meeting, she knew very well that we had started the group 10 years earlier in 1993 and acknowledged it to me that over the phone that she made a mistake and she promised me that in her next book, she would change that and uh, apologize and correct it. And the next book came out and it didn't happen. Now, I still have respect for Mary. I love her. I like her. I've got no issues with her, but they're little things that, you know, sort of stand in the way, if I can say that. But other than that, no, I have not worked with her. I have not done hypnotherapy sessions with her. Um, no. Yeah, that's good. I have to go on and apologize there because I was making an assumption there that the woman that you said that uh, was laughing at whilst during you know, making a story up whilst doing a hypnosis there that you observed there. For some reason, I was assuming it might have been Mary Rodwell, but I'm thinking, surely it can't be her. Like, she's a lot more credible. No, 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 no. It was someone else. Uh, Mary, so, Mary, wasn't right. involved. Mary was never involved in our support group structure or the professionals on board, like the hypnotherapists and counsellors and so on. Um, she was living in Perth at the time, I believe, so she was in a yep. you know way different state. And, yeah, no, we... Look, we've worked together. I've referred cases to her. She's referred people to me. Someone from Sydney calls her. Like, we work together. Like, we've got a good working relationship. But um, for some reason, some people got the impression after the show, My Mum Talks to Aliens, that I was one of Mary's clients. And, mm. and the show insinuated that in a way. Yeah, but, fair enough. Um, yeah. No, that's all right. That's cool. That's right. So I just want to apologise on that because I was making a, a bit of an assumption there in my own head. There, going, yeah, sure. no, 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 that's all right. <laughs> um, so I've got another one here from um, from Chris. He's um, where, where, where do we go with that one? Uh, would you do a DNA test to see if there is any anything unusual in your DNA? Hundred percent. Yeah. Anytime. Yeah. Anytime. And I'm surprised. I'm surprised. Well, look, I think they took a hair sample from me and they took one off my wife at the time. Um, but no blood, no blood testing or, you know, um, I don't think they were thinking that way at the time. I think they were just focused on the DNA from the females yeah. or from the hairs. And look, I'm going to, I want to make this point and I know Bill disagrees with me completely. When I got the hair samples, when I removed them, I remember one was almost clear, like I could, it was like a fishing line, a thin fishing line. And I put it in the bag, and then the other one, the shorter one, the one that was like wrapped in a C, as a C, that was darker. To me, it looked darker. And I instantly, straight away, assumed that the thinner, longer one, the transparent one, was from the blonde because I saw her hair. She had wispy blonde hair that, you know, was whitey transparency. So I knew that hair is from her. And the other one, I personally thought that it was from the Asian female because it was a bit darker and thicker in my 
eyes, right? Now, Bill tells me that when they put them under the microscope, they put them together and they could see that it was one hair, but it was broken. Now, I thought the hair would be the same thickness from the root up to the shaft, but what I was looking at, the smaller piece was thicker, and if it came from that piece of hair that had the root, it would have had to be from the top section of it, which I assume would be thinner, not thicker. I don't know, but my opinion, and to this day still, I very strongly, strongly feel that those two hairs were one from the Asian, one from the blonde. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. So it makes me thought of one or two, like, uh, like how long ago was it that, yeah, I think you might have mentioned too, but I can't remember now, but how long ago has it been since the, the hairs got tested? Well, it was six years after uh, 92. I had the hair for six years, so about 98. I think it was 98 that they got tested. So no, it was so about six about years. 20, yeah. 20, Sorry? 25 years nearly, just about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and when I spoke to Horace, uh, the biochemist, I remember when he said to me, there's still a piece of hair left. You can keep that. And, you know, and he said, and I've, he's got a little vial with a little bit of DNA that's sitting in his um, safe at home. So it's just a little tube and it's got a minute drop of DNA in there. But he said to me, DNA is it's in infancy stage at this time. We don't know what could happen in 20, 30 years. He said the technology could improve so much that from that bit of DNA, they might be able to clone something, you know. Um, that was said yeah. to me. Now, since then, I've set the bill. Can you ask Horace to check and find that vial or that tube that's got the DNA? um i've just got to all he's got to do i guess is look into the safe and see if it's there but i look when someone tells me something about my case especially evidence related i don't forget i yeah. note it i make notes of it and i keep it and i know that you told me that i'm not making this up and um bill said to me oh, i asked him he said he didn't think so he didn't and i said oh, mate just tell him to look in his safe and I bet you he'll find something there. Now, since then, I've had a guy call me from a Western university and he said, look, if you've got any hair, we'll take a little piece of it. We'll destroy it. You won't get it back. But I can tell you what they eat. And at that point in time, this is probably 20 years, yeah, 20 years ago, I didn't really care what aliens ate. Um, it wasn't high on my agenda to find out. Like, it wasn't going to change the world. Um, people say they like ice cream and um, strawberries. I don't know. But, um, yeah, but, um, yeah, it's, I, I, I've had a few requests, you know, but everybody wants their hands on the hair sample and there's only a little bit left. You know, it's there's not that much left. It's um, just one piece left. I've got it in between glass so at least people can have a look at it and see it. But, um, yep, the hair's definitely still there. I've still got a bit of the sample and you know what? I could have kept the hair sample, the whole thing, and not get it tested, and I would have had the whole hair, but we would never have known what it was. That's right, yeah. You know? And, okay, I took a risk. We lost a bit of the hair. We lost the root. We lost a bit of the shaft. But at least there's still a bit of hair there, but then it's got the DNA to back it. That's yeah. better than having the hair there and not knowing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so what else have we got here? Uh, so I've got another one here. Going back to the um, David Grush here. Jetty's asking, could Grush be set up for a false flag 
just for military funding. So what's your personal opinion? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I've, I've thought about that. Um, and you know what? He, you're, you're right. I like the words you set up because I don't think he's doing it to um, fool anyone or, you know, um, pull the wool over our eyes or anything. I think he genuinely thinks the information he was given is correct. And maybe, yeah, someone is doing that to him because there's a lot of bigger players in the at play here than um, Gresh and the people that are up front and oh, centre. Yeah. yeah. But no, good question. And I, I, I think that there's a big possibility that that could be the case. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, look, it's going to be interesting to see where it goes from there, really, to be honest. Um, yeah. I would yeah, like to say, look, if I'm going to go, if I'm going to go to government, Senate inquiry or whatever, I'm going to go there with more than what people have told me. He claims he has seen documents. But, you know, at the same time, if he shows one of those documents, he could go, get locked up, he could lose his pension. You know, there's there's secret things that are sworn to that they can't breach and they're still under that. They He can't just, you know, basically put a gun to his head and say, hey, guys, here's the evidence, but bang, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm dead like I'm gone. You can't do that. You kill your career, you kill your future, you kill your family basically. And, um, but I do think there's a possibility that, yeah, something sinister's at play and then um, setting up for some false, in, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, people claim the uh, Project Blue Book or Blue Beam or whatever it is, you know. That Blue Beam, yeah. Like Invasion, bloody, I don't know. We'll see yeah. That. <laughs> but you know what? I think also that's a cop-out too. That's for people who were, you know, I hear that a lot from people who are religious. Um, I think that's a cop out. Once again, a UFO, an alien will come and land in their backyard. I shouldn't have said that then because it recently happened. And <laughs> okay, yeah, but it can happen. You know, it can land in their backyard, and they're still going to say, "No, no, that wasn't real. That was, you know, Project Bluebeam and that." You're never going to convince them if people have this conspiracy stuff that you know they think the government is has a conspiracy against the people to do that. Let's wait and see when it happens. Is it going to be holograms and they disappear, mm -hmm. like the one the Pope is on the balcony talking, turns around and disappears? That they they admitted that was a hologram. Apparently, had a hard day at work and needed to do that. But uh, there's possibilities for it. I get it. I understand. But when it happens, we'll know if it's holograms or if it's fake. Because I'll tell you now, they're not going to have a fleet of aliens and fake uh, biological entities out there. You know, EBEs that are all over the place, all over the world. Um, I think people might have to come to the conclusion that it might be real. And, you know, when, when, let's uh, look, I'm hopeful and I'm hopeful it's a positive thing. But um, I'm also open minded enough to think that, yeah, there could be sinister things at play as well. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I've got another question here from Jane. Says, uh, "Have you ever gone to a medium psychic and see what they can pick up about the alien entities to see if you had a previous life as an alien?" Yes, I have. Um, interesting, very interesting question, and interesting experiences I've had. Um, a quick story: I was at a meeting at a UFO meeting once, and there was a lady speaking she was a psychic 
uh, clairvoyant psychic. She was speaking and I went to the meeting and for some reason it was the same group that refused Bill Chalker entry to theirs. That's the group that I actually named, uh, refused me entry. A couple of their members didn't want me to go in and um, almost, almost got to the point where if someone touched me, they were going to go down about 30 step, steps. It was a long flight. And um, I just thought it's going to hurt when you end up down there because I don't get pushed around or bullied. But um, anyway, that person, she was speaking at that. She was the main speaker. And she actually came out and she said, why are you allowing Peter in? And I, I didn't know who she was. Like, I never met her. She said, why are you letting Peter in? I said, we don't want him in. And she said, well, if he leaves, I leave. <laughs> So they were forced to let me in. And um, later on, we were talking, and, and she said, your second name's Koori, eh? I went, yeah. She goes, do you know Sam Koori? I went, actually, I, I just, off the cuff, you know, I thought, ah, oh, another Sam. I said, yeah, my, my oldest brother's name's Sam. And she was like, oh, uh, does he, did he used to drive a taxi? And I went, yeah. She goes, I dated your brother. <laughs> we went out, we dated. I said, <laughs> I said, well, you didn't introduce me to you. It mustn't have been long. She goes, oh, about six months. And um, while she was in the taxi with my brother, that's how they met, his wife had been murdered for, uh, two years before she got murdered. She, it was a long story, but that's why I have issues with the Lebanese Catholic Church and that. Um, they tried to cover it up because it was one of the teachers that killed her. But anyway, um, long story affected the family a long time. Anyway, she said, oh, I was in the taxi and... I could feel ten I could feel his tension, the poor guy. And she said to him, Don't worry, give it three years. She goes, I'm sitting in the back seat. And I just said to him, Don't worry, give it three years. She needs three years to get over, you know, what she's done in that, and then she'll communicate with you. And he goes, What are you talking about? And she goes, You've lost someone recently. And he goes, Actually, yeah, I lost my wife. So they ended up become friends and they dated. So one day she sends me this letter and um it was a psychic readout for me and it was so accurate like and predicted things that happened and oh my god and i drink I, at times my my ex-partner my ex-wife and i would sit down we go wow and then i'd ring her and i'd say 10 years ago you said this would happen in this letter and it's happened it's happened recently and now i'm looking at the letter and i'm it was like a checklist every now and then. She, I've got to say, she was bloody good. She was really good. Um, but no one has – I've spoken to a couple of psychics now, but no one has – you know, they say to me, oh, you've got, in, you've got beings around you. Uh, they protect you. I've had a couple of psychics come up to me and tell me they saw my guardian angel sitting on my shoulder. That was the first time I ever spoke was at the State Library where Ross is going to be speaking uh, in, in October. Uh, Ross Coltart speaking there. And uh, it's actually, it bring back a lot of memories for me because that was the first place we held our uh, first inaugural uh, meeting and we subsequently held meetings there for the next two, two or three years. Um, and then a new manager came in and what we were paying $280 for, she wanted $4,000 for. So we had to move somewhere else. But, um, yeah, first time I spoke publicly, I, I was petrified. I never talked, spoke publicly anywhere. And I was umming and ahhing most of the way through it. But this guy come up to me and he said, your second name, Kuri. He goes, do you know it means priestly? 
I said, yeah, Kuri in Lebanese is priest. It means priest. And uh, I said, my great-grandfather was a bishop or something, I don't know, or high up in the church. Um, so that's what they called, they used to call us the Kuri family, you know. And um, he goes, mate, I saw a hooded, like a St. Chabel or, you know, a hooded bean, a small one. He goes, sitting on your shoulder. Um, it's protecting you. It's your guardian angel. I was like, okay, you know. I had people standing in queue wanting to autograph or to chat or to talk, question. So I just sort of brushed it. About five, six people down, a lady comes up to me. She gives me a letter, an envelope. She goes, take this, don't open it till you get home. I go, okay. Now, these people weren't together because I could see where the guy was sitting and I didn't see her next to him, so they weren't together. Anyway, um, I kept putting the letter in my pocket. I come home. I opened the letter. I've still got it right here. I've got it in my filing cabinet. I opened this paper and it's got, exactly very similar to what that guy described a black figure in a robe with their face and it's small and she goes it was sitting on your shoulder <laughs> i was like damn you know that's, that's spooky it is spooky yeah and they're, they're the things closest things i've come to a psychic you know saying commenting or saying something that it triggered something in me but other than that, I know I don't. I think most, a lot of psychic. I'm sorry, I'm going to say this. I think a lot of psychics are fraudulent. There's a handful that are good, and um, far, far in, in, in between. You got to, If you find a good one, good luck to you. But um, there's a lot of fraudulent ones out there. And, you know, I don't feel the need to go and do all that. I'm just content. I'm happy that. You know, I've had these experiences. They've changed my life for the better. They've made me a better person, a, a better thinker, a different way of thinking. Um, my whole attitude has changed. Um, I just want to help people understand this now. Um, yeah, maybe maybe answers like that will come down the track. Um, who knows? But um, I don't pursue it. I don't chase it. I don't, you know, every psychic I see, I try and get info i'm not like that yeah no nah, fair enough. it's almost a one or two like what the hell is with the world like you know you look at the, the paranormal side of things there you got the alien kind of thing you got yaoi's you got people with these abilities or psychic abilities or telekinesis of some sort of nature like they can yeah predict things. It's like what is going on with this concept of the world that we're so blinded from in, the, in our normal world like why is this a thing yeah We've we've gone away from all that. Um, yeah, you know, it's I th I honestly I think all the things that would have made us better humans, we've completely gone away from, and everything that makes us, you know, turns us into. I mean, look at look at the world we live in. Look at what we were talking before COVID. People started bashing each other over toilet paper for Christ's mm. sake. You know. Um, geez, what did what did humanity do before toilet paper was invented? Like Squatting shit wherever they want. <laughs> well, you know, there was ways to clean yourself. You wash yourself. You don't. You know, it's not the end of the world if there's no toilet paper. Put it that way. There's other things you can use. You know, a lot of towels around in the world and things like you don't have to bash someone over a roll of toilet paper. Yeah. Um, that's where our mindset's gone. You know, it's. Um, it's not you're not thinking about the next person or you're not thinking about the other person and 
and I think that's what they want. The governments want that. They want to. They want to separate families. They don't, they want to break the family unit. They want to do. You know, it's all about struggles. Struggles to pay your mortgage. And look now, what we're where we're living in the world now, where mortgage is skyrocketing. Um, I heard today that twenty two thousand houses went up for sale in the last month or two because of the interest rate. People are losing, sorry, losing their livelihoods. They're losing their homes. Um, they got more issues to deal with than UFO stuff, you know. Like yeah. when a guy's losing his house, he's going to lose his family. Last thing on his mind is ufos and the ufo disclosure and america and what they're reporting and that but the ones who are into the topic and are interested yeah it's high up on their agenda they you know we think major changes are coming in the world but that's if they let it happen no that's right it's like pretty much divide and conquer and keep them all stamped yeah. down, isn't it that's right that's right yeah like, I, I sort of blame i, I don't know i'm gonna offend a lot Probably a few people here there on a religious basis, but I don't really care. Um, it's pretty much the truth of what's happened in the world history. But I blame the Catholic Church and the Roman Empire for what's happened in the world. You know, it, it, it destroyed, well, because they, they were trying to take over the whole entire world, you know, and it's pretty much continued from there on in, a, yeah. in a, just in a different sort of sense. Like we think we're in a, um, was it a, a democracy, but really we're not really. No. Nah. Well, we don't live in a democracy. We live in a controlled world where, mate, we like to think we've got free speech. Yeah, nah. <laughs> say, say something you believe in and see what will happen. Mention say COVID on bloody you uh, YouTube. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Exactly. That's the thing. That's the world we live in these days where everybody's scared of offending someone because everybody is so easily offended. Yeah. I mean, geez, man, I grew up in this country. I got called WOG, W-O-G, WOG, not WOG. Oh, no. I'm going to dump the Facebook now. You watch. <laughs> mate, I, no, no, I'm talking about me. This is me. I got called oh, yeah, WOG. It's on Facebook now. Uh, Facebook's going to get me for that. <laughs> oh, mate, I'm wog. talking about myself and my experiences. <laughs> but you know what? It never affected me. I never needed counselling. I never went crying and, you know, suffered depression because someone called me a wog. So what? You know, that I was new to the, the country. But I was new to the country. Back in those days, the term wog, sometimes it was used as a, an affectionate way too, you know. Like my yeah. teacher, he used to teach at school and um, he's my friend. He became my daughter's godfather. And he, he makes comments like, hey, when you come down to Cronulla, make sure you bring your passport. I think it's really funny. <laughs> I do. I think it's really funny. You know, and I'm, I'm not easily offended when it comes to that stuff and that, but I do get offended when exactly what you mentioned before, when the church embellishes things and, you know. But, yeah, I, I, mate, I've, I'm thick-skinned, I guess. I, I've been through a lot in my life and, um i should have been dead probably three or four times and um when i say dead i'm talking paper thin close you know mm. and um i've been lucky enough and that's where i think yeah i do have some something guiding over me call it a guardian angel call it whatever but um i've had some really dicey situations where i could have easily been killed and it would have just taken a hairline 
you know, trigger to, to do it. Like, um, and I've survived it. And I think what doesn't kill you is true. It makes you stronger. And same thing with the UFO topic and the abduction topic. If it, what doesn't crush you and kill you makes you stronger. Um, I've got a lot of questions I'd love to ask them. And a lot of people ask me with the 92, did you ask them where they were from or did you, you know, communicate with them? I was in too much shock to want to know where they came from. I was like thinking, how the hell did you come into my house, first of all? But that's what I was thinking. I think they could pick on that because it's more telepathic. And when I was thinking to myself, how the hell did you get in here? Like, you know, um, they could hit, they, they knew what I was thinking. They knew. But, you know, they got in there because they can and they got out because they can. I didn't see them open my front door and leave. So they they do have a different different control of our environment. We we can't do the things they do, you know? No, that's right. And that's what makes this whole thing scary. Like I was saying before, you know, they don't care who you are, where you are, whatever you're that's doing right. there. If they, they want to take you or do whatever they need to do to you, they're going to do it. And that's right. Yeah. Me, that is the most frightening whole concept of when it comes to the, talking about UFOs and abductions. Um, yeah. Like, you know, obviously people have scarier encounters there. Others um, have like, like a bit more pleasant ones there. Doesn't matter what sort of regard you want to think of it. But like to me, either way, it's still a scary concept because you, just, you have no idea yeah. what's happening or you have a small Mate, reflection of something's happened. Whether you're a policeman, whether you're a politician, whether you're a garbo, whether it doesn't matter, you know, anything. If they want you for their purpose, for their agenda, whatever it is, they're going to take you. They're not going to go, oh, this guy's a politician, leave him alone, you know, he's, or this guy's a doctor. Look, I had a doctor involved in the group. His daughter was born with a hole in his head, in her head, sorry, in a skull, internal thing, and um, never caused her any problems, but he knew it was alien-related. And then any time he'd take her through an airport or a, anything, alarm would go off. They were setting alarms left, right, and center. And... Um, she was he was affected by it differently and he's a doctor you know he's a doctor and he struggled with it i'll be honest with you he struggled with it it was and i think the more you're into that regimented way of thinking and then you have your you know your boundaries and nothing is is outside of that i think it's harder to deal with this sort of topic but yeah. um yeah yeah and he was experiencing things himself but because he was a doctor i think he thought oh you know should i even be taking this on board um but he couldn't deny it and recently probably probably um, when i say recently um compared to when the group started in 93 a few few years ago he actually called me to see how i was and what was happening and and he actually brought up the fact that you, you remember me talking to you about my daughter and me because my daughter is still having she's having experiences and he's having experiences and and he's a greek guy greek background um so yeah, mate. It's it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who you are. Yeah. Yeah. So just gonna check in, <laughs> see if we're still alive, still going. Well, thank you, Facebook, for not cutting us off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's go. Well, mate. Look, um, I've now got something here coming in the comments here quickly. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I'll just read this through here because uh, it's. A Fair, fair comment, this one. 
Uh, the abduction experiences I had are very similar to the ones discussed by Peter, and they started around the same time. The small figures that shows up. Uh, the small figures around the bed, paralysis, and telepathic communications. A voice from a tall female telling me to relax. We won't hurt you. Um, everything will be okay, and we will bring you back. Don't worry, etc. The strange vibrating through the wall and into con unconsciousness. Similarly, every four years or so, and the meeting with a child that they said was meant to be a joyous occasion. Um, I can't see the, who the Facebook user is because they're obviously going through the Australian UFO sightings group page, which is a private one, so it won't show your name there until you click the... Uh, mm -hmm. the uh, that's, a, that's an interesting comment, actually. Yeah. That's an interesting comment. And that's what I mean. Like, these things are happening all around the world, and I don't care who you are, but there's so much reports of people, you know, coming forward with these experiences there. And yet, like yeah. you say before, no one wants to go and touch it. No one wants to go and investigate into this in, in, a, in a, a more critical analysis. Look, Anthony, can you imagine there were people around the world re report uh, the, like the same amount of people? Oh, we've lost you. Hang on. Imagine people were reporting oh, a mental health. A second, yeah. Can you imagine people reporting like a mental health issue thing? There'd be a million people jumping yeah. on that. Oh, because it's mental health, that's jump, you know, the black dog thing, all these oh ask them, are you okay? Are you okay? Yeah. Well, this has affected this this experience affected me positively, but it's affected a lot of other people negatively. And I've had people crying, mate, like because they've gone through this and they don't want to deal with it. They can't deal with it. Not that they don't want to, they can't. And where are the people, where are the professionals who are supposed to be there for these people? Like not everybody that reports this is having delusions or should be in a mental institution. Look, I early on when I started the support group, I had a young young kid. I think he was about nineteen years old. Um, he was a very very well um, um, uh, known, not known, but up and coming uh, pianist. Very good at at, at playing the piano, and um, he went. And made the mistake he said that's how he put it to me he said i made the mistake of talking to my family because i couldn't talk to anyone else and the family thought he was going crazy so they took him to his doctor the doctor without even hearing the whole story instantly signed him in to a mental institution now the doctor used to go and watch this kid at his concerts performing playing the, the piano and he thought he was a great you know oh, genius kid you know and as soon as the kid mentioned beings in the room or aliens, that doctor got him, put him in a mental institution. That kid sent me a letter, and I believe it was from while he was in the mental institution. He was so suicidal. He was at breaking point where no one, he goes, not my family, not my doctor, believe me. And he, at the end of the letter, he actually said, Peter, please believe me, I am having these experiences. And I have no doubt that he was, but because he reported it and spoke to the wrong people, well, family shouldn't be the wrong people. But you know mm. what? I didn't really confine in my family when it happened. Um, the 88 stuff at my parents, they witnessed my, my brother witnessed it, but I didn't confine in them and go and say, oh, look, this happened. Even that night when I asked my brother, when I walked out of the room and woke up my dad and then woke up my brother, well, couldn't wake up my dad, my brother and I eventually woke him up. I, I asked my brother, like, you know, 
how long has it been since I've been in the room? And even his reply was like 15 minutes, but a couple of hours had gone by because we noticed the TV screen had become, back then the station would close and then you'd get like a test pattern or a song about my oh, city yeah. of Sydney would come up. Yeah. And that's how we sort of worked out that there was that missing, that there was some missing time. It had 11.15 and now it's, you know, 2.45 or nearly 3 o'clock. So there was some gap in between what we thought was 15 minutes, but it was a lot longer than that. Um, honestly, like if someone, you're living in someone's house and they walk out of the room and go, guess what, I just had these beings in my room and that, the family going to laugh at you. Even if they know you well, they're going to laugh. They're going to think, come on, you were dreaming. And I can understand that. It's hard to understand this unless you're going through it. Yeah. Um, I just think there's enough ev evidence out there. There's enough cases out there for people in the field, professional people who are supposed to be helping people who are dealing with issues, help them deal with this. Why is it just, can you imagine in 12 months' time it all comes out and then I think that's what American government's scared of, class action, you know, mm. millions, hundreds of people getting together and suing the governments. Um, because I've of the thought about that too, but it would be hard to do though because there's no evidence and everything that's happening. Well, look at the Cash Lundrum case um, where the old, two older ladies and the young grandson and they saw that diamond-shaped object escorted by, I think it was 12, if not more, Chinook helicopters, and they got mm. affected from the radiation and so on, and one of them eventually died of cancer. The other one died later. The little kid suffered as well from radiation burns and stuff. They took that case to court, and it got thrown out. Because mm. they said, oh, they didn't have enough evidence. Um, and, and that's another thing that I hate. Um, you can be a witness in a court of law, and on your evidence, on your eyewitness, I'm an eyewitness, I saw this happen. Someone can get convicted and sent to jail for the evidence that you were given. I'm an eyewitness. This guy is a credible eyewitness. Yeah. He saw you pull the trigger, or he saw you throw a knife at some person that ended up killing you walk out of that court and you look up out, you stand outside on the steps of the court, look up and see UFO in the sky, go back into that court and say, I just saw a UFO in the sky, you'll get discredited. Mm, yeah. No one will believe you. We're five minutes before someone got convicted on your evidence. Yep. But then when you go and tell your story about something that happened to you that people don't, you know, understand, they just, you get discredited. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's stupid how the world works that way. Yeah, look, it is actually stupid. No, what what I'm what I'm a bit happy about with my stuff is that I do work with a lot of young people and different cultures, different religions. And at first, they might hear about my story or hear, "Oh, Peter's been abducted by," it, or "Peter thinks he's been abducted by," and they snicker and they'll go, "Oh, Peter must be crazy." But once they get to know me and once they mm -hmm. see how I operate and that, and they look into the case. I'll win them over. I'll always win them over. I've had a couple of crank calls, you know, where they're going, ah, oh, I can see your phone. I know the idiots. Like, I just hang <laughs> up. But other than that, maybe two or three times that's happened. But other than that, it's always been a positive thing with me where people's reaction to my story is, Peter, even if I don't believe this, I believe you. And that, to me, means a lot. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, mate, look, we've... um. 
we've gone for about four and a half hours practically. Wow, well, really? Four. Yeah. Time flies when you're having fun. It's 10, 10 Yeah, we started at about six o'clock there, and then we had a bit of a hiccup there with YouTube. Yeah, that's right. And then, uh, wow. So, yeah, we've gone four and a half hours, mate. That's um, that's a record it's for me. Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah, mate. Jeez. Um, mate, look, um, I, I can't well, I appreciate hope I didn't you bore your listeners. I hope I didn't bore your listeners to death. Sorry, I just spoke over you then. I hope I didn't bore your listeners to death because uh, four and a half hours is a long time. Yeah, it is, mate. I think um, everyone's going to thoroughly enjoy this. Um, they're going to look at the the time frame of this episode and go, "You're kidding? Four hours? What? No way!" <laughs> maybe do, maybe do it in two parts or something. I don't know. But... I thought about it. I was like, "Nah, well, bugger, they can, well, they can go back there. to it." There's a lot of content there. They can listen to a lot of things, and I, I I should have kept it chronological order, but I I jump around. I'm I'm just um yeah. I try and cover bits and then try and explain why I'm jumping, but that probably took us off track a bit. But um, I hope your listeners enjoyed it and they get something out of it, especially the ones who have had an experience. Um, I hope it gives them a bit of strength and um, just dig deep. You know. Go yeah. look into your case, like investigate it, research it. And if you haven't had an experience, look at someone else's cases and investigate and research. You know, I'm not the only one out there, but I'm probably one of the outspoken ones. Uh, but I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who would love to tell their story, give them an opportunity. Oh, absolutely, man. Look, the best thing about this too is like if they listen to your story there, I just hope it's going to encourage a lot more people to come out and, you know, be a lot more open and more that was all with your experience there. So, mate, that's yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I'm hoping, and I hope it's going to take effect too. And this is what this is part of why I love doing what I do here. And yeah. I hope to try and encourage more people to come forward and bring out more of the reality. What the hell is going on behind these scenes of yeah. more reality? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Definitely. Um, mate, thanks so much for coming on, mate. Appreciate your time so much. Pleasure. There, mate. Um, Pleasure. Are you open for people to come and get in contact with you at all? Or, um, yeah, yeah, I'm on Facebook. Um, our website is playing up at the moment. We, because I hurt my back, I was out of action for three weeks. Um, we're going to get back into it and uh, try and rebuild it. I think it got it's been hacked three times over the years, and um, we the domain it's still there, but we've got to rebuild everything. So I'll get all that going. But yeah, on Facebook, or um, I mean, they can. Um, I think my phone number's out there anyway on the on the anything to do with the ufa experience support association um yeah. i'm happy for them to give me a call um they can find me people can find me and text me and i'll get in touch with them yeah no that's awesome yeah. i'll um i'll throw some links up there and if you want i can even put your phone number up on the uh on the link yeah that's not a problem um, hopefully yeah. we won't get too many prank calls, but you know. nah, mate, it doesn't worry me. Over the years, I've probably had, I'd say, three or four prank calls. That's not bad. Yeah, no, yeah. that's awesome, mate. Look, it's just, um, it's absolutely amazing too that you're actually so open to like providing a phone number and actually willing to talk to people, mate. That's like the, that's probably one of the biggest things of um, doing what you do, mate. I, I yeah, think it's absolutely mate. incredible. Yeah, that's why I started doing all this to you know help encourage people. So. You know, hiding your phone number isn't going to help encourage anyone. So, yeah, if they want to get in touch with me, by all means. Yeah, no, it's awesome, mate. That's absolutely yeah. fantastic. Again, mate, I can't appreciate your time enough there, mate, especially with four and a half hours doing mate, this. Thank you. Know. you. Thank you. Because honestly, yeah, four and a half is a lot of your time as well. And I really appreciate you giving me that time. Um, but yeah, um, and as I said to you, anytime you're in Sydney, 
um you've got a place to stay i <laughs> uh, appreciate that mate and definitely gonna take you up on that offer at some point there because i've got plans for, the future for this thing and um i was hoping you'd come there. down to the ross coltar thing next uh month and you're welcome to stay you won't have to pay accommodation anyway ah that's fine i'm not worried about that mate look i'll still pay my way either way mate i won't take a freebie out here <laughs> but you know <laughs> um i'd love to have come down but unfortunately time and um yeah yeah it's unfortunate but mate i appreciate the offer mate either way um no, but yeah again mate thank you very much um any final quick words before you want to go there no I, as i said if anybody wants to contact me and have a chat um feel free to do so you know yep no worries all right mate i'll leave you to it mate thank you very much mate and um i'll talk to you soon mate appreciate it thank you mate and good night you cheers mate good night bye and that will do it folks for this episode i hope you enjoyed the show and don't forget if you or someone you know has had an encounter please get in touch with me to be featured on the podcast if you're a fan of the show you can support the podcast by purchasing some awesome merchandise that's available on our online store via the link provided in the episode description so thanks for tuning in and i look forward to seeing you on the next encounter down under hey root <laughs>